Welcome back to Dev Dive episode 22. As always, I'm your host, Nighthawk. We're back from our hiatus with special guest, Gene. Gene is Senior Developer Relations at Riot Games, and tonight we'll be covering what that means and why his work at, why his work at Riot is important. Thanks for joining me on our return show, Gene. I'm really excited to pick your brand's topic. For sure. Uh, I'm, I always love doing uh, talks and kind of spreading the gospel of like what I do, because uh, what I do at Riot is really not something that's caught on yet at most uh, game companies, but uh, we're seeing it expand pretty rapidly in the next, like, the past year and for the future years as well. Awesome. Yeah. Before we start for real, I want to give a little update on my co-host Larry. Um, as many of you know, Larry recently left Riot Games for a position at Phoenix Labs, That's the studio that makes Dauntless. Uh, Larry's wife, who also was on the podcast actually a few episodes ago, uh, works at Phoenix, La Phoenix Labs as well, so they'll be working together. Um, he'll be pretty busy because he's moving to Canada for the next uh, few months, so he might not be able to come on the show as a co-host for a while. Uh, I'll probably be solo hosting until he's ready to like, come back on. So if you're missing Larry, um, he wants to be on the show, but he's pretty busy with moving into another country. So we'll be there. We'll be back as soon as possible. But uh, with that out of the way, let's start the episode. So Senior Developer Relations, that's a, that's a pretty fancy title. Um, why don't we start off with talking a bit more about your career at Riot? Like, how did you get started in this field in game dev? Uh, so I was doing basically my same job, but I was working in the cryptography um, defense contracting industry. Um, basically work, I was working at a company called Ionic Security um, for about two and a half, three years. And we built uh, encryption software that was used by uh, the biggest banks in the world, um, DARPA, various other things uh, out there. Um, and I ran developer relations there. And that meant, hey, how do I make it easy for developers to build things around this encryption software? Or how do I make it so that like, um, the, the developers can be a monetized way for the company to make money based on like how many times, like every time they encrypt or decrypt, like, and, or they pull their key or storage and stuff like that. Um, and so I managed this, this big, this big ecosystem was mostly companies in the, uh, like the government sector. Um, um, and then Riot came like a uh, headhunting and they're like, Hey, you seem like, you know what you're doing. Would you like to do the same job, but over in gaming? And I was like, when do I sign? <laughs> um, it was a little more complex. I was actually, I was, I was very concerned about it because, like, I was going from a very serious, like, everybody wears suits and ties and everything industry, where you frequently have to deal with like generals or military personnel in full uniform, to moving towards gaming, where everybody is wearing a t-shirt, a hoodie, a denim jacket. Um, I'm doing all three right now. <laughs> Um, uh, and, uh, and so I was very, very concerned about doing that. But at the same time, I was like, Hey, if I work here, my work doesn't actually possibly kill people, um, or, or work on systems that would eventually, or like support military. And so my conscience can be a lot more clear and I can do things that are a lot more fun, honestly. And it's just, a, and I was also like, I actually, when we joined Riot, I don't know if Larry has covered this. Um, you're given like a few skins, like you can pick to unlock on your account, and most people pick the ones that were from the beta or from buying the collector's edition. I actually had those because I bought the beta and everything in in that. Um, so so like when League like League made a ton of sense to me, um, and Riot made a ton of sense, and so they came they came talking, but it was like a six month process from like 
them originally being like in December, hey, do you want to work with us? And me being like, yeah, maybe. And going through the interview process, me getting cold feet, and then them being like, you sure? And then I started in August. Um, so it was, it was a long process to convince me to come over. It also helped that I had to convince my uh, fiance to come to, to be like, we're going to move from the East Coast where both of us have always lived and move to uh, Los Angeles in California where we know zero people. Um, the nice thing is Riot uh, was very, very, was very, very supportive of that process. And like, they flew me out twice. They flew her out once. We were able to look at houses or look at apartments, figure out the area, and and realize that like this was actually a really cool place that we could we could be um, be out here, and and like when I first started at Riot, I was the first person who showed up to orientation wearing a uh, button up and slacks and a belt like tucked into a belt uh, with like with khaki pants, uh, wearing like loafers, and I, I think I may have worn a tie. I immediately took the tie off. But like you can even see it in the photo that you used, uh, like my profile photo. That's me the day that I started at Riot. Um, like shaved, no facial <laughs> hair, like hair put together more, like button up as much as possible. And even that would be, uh, even that was like super, like I feel weird. Um, and then I came in and everybody was wearing a hoodie. I was like, oh, I really need to reevaluate what my wardrobe is out here and doing things. But uh, honestly, like with my, my job and, and working in game dev, there hasn't been a huge amount of difference. Um, I still work with APIs. I still work with teams around companies uh, and to develop things with a focus on third parties. Um, I still do contracts. I still do BD. I still do marketing. I still help startups like go from, I have an idea to I'm executing and helping millions of people. Um, but I just get to do it in a way more creative and passionate thing. Like, I think it was a, a two or three weeks after I started was PAX um, 2017. Um, or maybe it was 2016. Uh, but uh, they, the riot flew me because they're like, Gene, we need to in, like indoctrinate you into gaming culture as much as possible. And I was like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and they sent me alone to PAX with, and I knew absolutely nobody there. And with it, and I made some great friends that I now like, like I, I really cherish everybody I met there and they've been very helpful in like still getting me into the gaming industry. But within, I think four hours of being there, someone had come up to me, found out I worked at Riot and broke down crying in front of me because they had met their wife playing League of Legends Aww. and then had two children uh, and got married and had two children named after lead characters. Oh no! <laughs> and and I was like, I didn't have my heart in my heart to tell them, hey, I started literally four weeks ago, and I don't work on any of the games proper. Um, I I support. I work on every single game. That means R and D, um, third party games, so like um, everything like that, and first party games to to support those. So I I do I do work on them, but I don't make balance decisions or like anything like that i just make sure that we are able to build stuff that is scalable international yeah that's really big <laughs> that's really important yeah. Um, yeah so i have a few things i wanted to circle back to on that but real quickly do you remember what the names they used for their kids were uh it was garen i knew that one for sure because that one the so the room i was interviewed at riot was garen 
and I was really excited because that was my 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 OG champion. And so I was like, so I remembered that one. And I think the other one might have been Lulu. Lulu's um, not too bad. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty yeah. funny. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people who name their pets after League of Legends characters, but that might be the first time I've ever heard of anyone naming their kids my, after them. My cat is named Poppy. Poppy. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Usually it's like yeah. Ari or Rengar. Or no, like she, she likes to do a lot of pop. And so <laughs> I was like, yeah, Poppy works. It's dual name. She has a steadfast presence. Uh, <laughs> no, she does not. <laughs> uh, shoot. Okay, the other thing I wanted to rotate back on is I think um, when Larry started, because Larry has actually, or was actually at uh, Riot for a long time, I think six or seven years now uh, is when he left. And I think when he first started, they actually allowed you fully unlocked accounts, sort of like how the, um, the League Partner accounts are today, where they just have access to all the skins and stuff. And Riot, from my understanding, this is secondhand information, uh, they came to Riders and they're like, hey, uh, we're going to change things. We're actually going to have to take these unlocked accounts away. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna have to, because we want to make you feel more like players do. And if you're getting everything for free, then it's really not the same experience. Um, and I think that was something that he's always been a little sad about because he lost a lot of the... The See, fun stuff I came in to. after that, and it, it's called player play like a player. It's how <laughs> we do everything. It's it's not just that, but it's also like, hey, if someone will come and try and back channel to me through Slack or email, being like, hey, I want an API key so I can do this thing, I'll be like, cool. Is it for Riot work? And they're like, no, it's personal. I'm like, cool. Go go oh. outside <laughs> of the company, apply like a normal person. I'm not you're like everybody like needs to follow the same procedure. Otherwise, it just gets insane. Because mm-hmm. people would would back channel and stuff, um. But I so I came in after that, and I actually really love it because there is, um, like sure, it like it sounds like Riot doesn't do this. We also get, I believe, like thirty five hundred RP per month, um, and stuff like that, and that builds up real quick. I'm mm-hmm. more of a TFT guy than League guy anymore, so I have plenty for me to buy the battle pass and all the eggs that I need, um, uh. But uh, and, and then then there's also like Valorant and Legend of Terra and so we get all this currency and it builds up. So it's like everybody who's been there a long time, you're able to buy everything, but you do have to think about what you're spending on. Are you going to spend on KDA coming out, or are you going to have to spend on uh, like one of the big events, like the, the what was the Spirit Blossom this summer, mm-hmm. and start start to think about those. And that's the same psychological like feeling that players have where it's like i'm i don't uh, i don't want to spend all my money on this one because i know that one that world is coming up or whatever and so that we can start thinking about that especially when we're building strategy and systems and marketing it's like we have to realize that there is like a lifetime value and a yearly value that someone or a monthly value and how much are you willing to put in there and so i i've been a fan of it um when i first came in i was like this this is terrible we should get everything for free and now that like it's been years, I'm like, I literally have too much RP. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. I and, think, um... and, and, and the nice thing is, I can write off RP as a work expense if I really want to. <laughs> tax is the tax or, di- or tax? Uh... Yeah, yeah. Anything gaming for me is a tax expense. It's recent. I need to. I need to actually go and do that because I bought a lot of stuff for working from home. And I'm yeah. usually just really, really lazy with my tax returns, but I think this year I might actually put some effort into it and be like, "I got receipts. Come on, Mr. Government." Yeah, 
Give me some money yeah, back. Yeah. Uh, write write it all off. Um, it is it is it is huge. Yeah. Uh, circling back to the document, the awesome <laughs> talking points doc that we have written out. Uh, what is I I know you said you do like a ton of different stuff at Riot. If it's possible to quantify like what a daily cycle is for you, like what do you do in a day? Can you give us that? Uh, I'll I'll do I'll do. There are different types of days, but I'll, I'll I'll but I can do this for sure. Um, I try to set up a day as being one specific thing so that I avoid context switching because that will kill my productivity as much as possible. Um, so. Like there are certain days which are like right now because we're end of Q we're we're Q four we're moving into next year and we're doing planning. This is all about planning, organization, um, like scheduling systems for the future. Like how am I building out? Like what are my proposals, my pitch decks, my things like that? So I probably I spend a a sig- very very significant amount of time building out pitch decks for new products. Um, uh, there's also like working with because I sit on a, a team. That is separate from all the games. Uh, we're like making sure that I have communication lines, and I'm tracking all of the Jira tickets and systems in place that all of these games are doing, and like knowing what their timelines are as well. So it's like, uh, for like, I'll, I'll like, for example, uh, if game A, um, is going to be like I'm watching through Jira tickets and they're planning and and or I've talked to their 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 product manager and been like. Oh yeah, you guys are gonna do tur- like tournaments. Like it's something that you're really, really passionate about, and you want to do that. I was like, okay, well, how can I make sure that I build in like tournament support, or I need more API scale, or I need something like that? Or it's like, hmm, match history is coming for this game. Okay, well then I need to build up plans for. Well, how are we gonna do the actual like distribution of match history to developers? Like, what is the criteria we're looking for? What is the goals of this team for a third-party company? How many players per like ten in a game do we expect for these to be used? Is this replacing features that the game is like instead of doing it in the game, we're giving it to third parties to replace things like that? Um, where like there's a real focus on like we want nine out of those ten players to know that this exists, um, versus having it being done like doing it ourselves because it'd be bad if it was only like. Hey, only half of them know. You can go look at match history somewhere else. Um, so a lot, a lot of that. Um, and then uh, there is a uh, a lot of uh, like support. I do a lot of support for, and this very much scales because like the ecosystem and the community that I that I run is everything from a high school student who is trying to learn to code and using the Riot API to prove to their parents that. Uh, it's not just a video game. It's something that I'm learning. Um, uh, um, to like college students all over the world who are doing college college like uh, thesis statements or like various things around how do I do data. Um, it's really cool. I'll get like Korea, Brazil, Australia, all these different these 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 students being like they're like I'm a student in this school in Korea. I'd love to be able to do something for this project. And I'm like yes, let's support you. Let's help you. Um, and then like. Programs like uh, um, uh, NC State, which has Doran Labs, um, and this is that the, their uh, their data science pro- program out of there is purely based on the Legal Legends API, where they've built out these amazing like 538 style uh, detail things um, for 
um, for League of Legends, for movement, for how do you do things, ARAM pick rates, everything. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, moving into like smaller startups, then bigger startups, then like the startups that are like making hundreds of millions of dollars a year, um, and then Fortune 500 companies. So I have like this huge gamut of, of people that I have to, that I'm helping with and doing various things. And so support can mean different things for, for, for all of them. Some of it's like, hey, how do I get a key so I can do stuff? But some of it is, hey, uh, I don't know how to market. Um, and like, like an example is like, we'll sometimes have people who have this great idea, like a truly, and I believe revolutionary idea, but, and they can build it, but they have no idea how to acquire users, um, how to acquire people who are going to do, do use that thing. And so I'll work with them, maybe get them in touch with like some people who do influencer management or talk to them about growth hacking, um, that type of stuff and help them get to that. Or we'll have like a, a company that's like, I'm getting solid 500,000 uh, um, like users a day or a week or whatever, but to, but to, if I get a million, I'm profitable. How do I go from like this? Because like like that's where like the profit margin and the cost per click for ads and everything will 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 will, will start jumping. And they're they're working with them to be like I analyze what's going working, what's not working, figure out where they could possibly find interest infrastructure savings. Um, maybe find like direct them to various like scholarship programs or grants that various companies do, like Google, Amazon, et cetera, have like they'll give out like ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars with first the free cloud credit if you exclusively plan to use their program for the next two or three years. And so that can help like do those things. So I help with a lot of that type of stuff. And then there's the also like engineering technical support, which I do less and less because uh, unfortunately like it's hard to switch from technical to non-technical and uh, I've had to, to put that one more in a back pocket. Um, I do it a lot on my own, but not, not as much for work. Yeah. Um, and then what else, what else do I do? Uh, I, I work, I, that's about that. That's about it. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that was, yeah. that was, that was quite a, uh, quite a mouthful. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. real quick, shout out to NC state. I'm actually about eight miles away from them right now. Um, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Living in Raleigh, moved here from LA. Uh if you have been following me on Twitter, you, you know that I moved out of LA from from uh or sorry, moved out of LA to Raleigh. Uh and I'll be here for as long as my company lets me work remote, which is fingers crossed a while. Forever. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot cheaper to live on this side of the country. Uh yeah. I'm enjoying it so far. Very, very nice out. It's nice to have seasons again. Uh I like the the weather in LA, but nice to be here too um yeah, i i miss atlanta yeah yeah i actually drove through atlanta uh on my way to la from north carolina i drove we did the cross-country trip down the coast all the way up that was a, a long drive um so hoping you didn't cover too much of this in your explanation but uh what are some of the highlights in of your job like something that makes you say this is why i do this um I think I have a sneaking suspicion about what some of them might be, depending or based on what you said about like the pack stuff. But uh, if you can expand uh, on it, it's anything that really brings joy to people, and like them being like, "Wait, I can do that," or something like that is is huge for me. Um, I really love being able to put people in a situation that they can succeed. Like, kind of my ethos, mission statement. Like, and if 
you if nobody had if you like if you're listening and you don't have one of those highly recommend sitting down like once every two years or stuff like that to figure out what your personal mission statement and mine is like i want to i shepherd motivated people to a goal that is that is basically that's kind of everything i do i help mode like and that works in professional um like like internally at riot and externally so when i have someone who's motivated to do something and really wants to do something and i can put them in the best possible situation and then watch them succeed i take a lot of like like really like pleasure in in seeing their that success um because like they've they've nailed it they're doing awesome um so seeing like like there's a bunch of people who come in over the last few years who have come and pitched me products or ideas or systems that they want to build around riots games or around the game industry as, as a whole and i've had this the, the excellent like 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 some excellent ones truly come out of that where it's like yeah if riot let me i'd give you my own money um uh type things or like just like everything and them growing into these massive companies or not even they don't have to be massive companies but they could just be like these things that are doing amazing like we've got some amazing open source products that like are being that people are building and then other companies are using their work and it's 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 anytime i see some some someone succeeding that's really that's really where i see it almost like a um a coach like a yeah, I was gonna say life coach, but not really. It's more of a professional <laughs> development coach. Yeah, uh, no, it 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 is it is it is it is coach uh, is a good one. I really like that um, that that is the, that analogy because that is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to coach them to be the best that they can possibly be. Um, and then, like internally, I I love the puzzle of managing different timelines and uh, things that are priorities for various things, where it's like. Oh, this team has this priority. This team has this priority. Well, we have this priority. It's like, how do I do the chess pieces and everything to make sure that we can like get that API built, but I'll end the documentation and everything and getting it all released. And that, that stuff is also incredibly satisfying. Yeah. Okay. We've gone about 25 minutes without a tangent. So I'm going to, I'm going to use my tangent card. My one for the show. That's not true. (laughs) I have a lot. Um, this is something that I've been talking about for a while, uh, and I'd love to see your opinion on it, even though this is completely unrelated to what you do. Um, a coach, I know you said you don't follow league as much these days, you're more of a TFT here, but I feel like the coach role in professional league has been getting a lot more focus as of recently. Uh, I'd love to see that role expanded into sort of like a on-stage role where they get to view the players like cameras and then they yeah. can give like live call outs like a shot collar roll that'd be really fun <laughs> so i know this is something that's being discussed and like it currently is something that happens in csgo and i believe rainbow six and maybe cod i don't i don't know like the about that i know csgo for sure does it where a coach could be on stage and they really don't talk a lot but they can if they want um it's it's more calling out the buy rounds and like sell rounds and stuff like that um I can see the value of it, um, but I think that there is there is a intrinsic like unfairness of like someone whose entire focus is I can watch the entire map, um, uh, which would basically make them a sixth player. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, like realistically, in that position, they're becoming the shot caller. They're dictating buys. They're doing everything, and it would take a lot of the agency off of the professional players and put it on that coach. Do, uh, so, so I, I don't think I, I would personally want that. 
what I will say is I think that uh, esports coaching is not at the place it should be. Mm-hmm. I think uh, they're like with. So I'm a big soccer fan. Uh, so I'll I'll steal this. Uh, and I'll I'll use a couple different analogies. Uh, Jurgen Klopp, uh, who is the manager, uh, the skipper, the head of Liverpool, um, he is basically the CEO, the coach, everything for that team. Um, uh, Bill Belichick for the Patriots, he is basically the CEO, the coach, and everything for that team. Um, uh, I forget who the coach for the Spurs is. I'm blanking. Uh, Greg Popovich for the Spurs. He's the CEO, the coach, or whatever. He is involved in every aspect of that. And that is the, he's involved in the, they're all involved in both the, hey, how does this team run on the game day? They're also involved in, hey, how do I develop the next generation of players for me? Um, how do I do trades? They're very involved in that. And so they know everything about everybody. But they're also very having to do outward facing stuff. Like they're, specifically like out there doing their own endorsements their own talking their own whatever um and being these public figures for these organizations where it's like yeah your jurgen uh for liverpool has like 100 million dollars worth of endorsement deals because he's just like he's internal and ever external um and we're not seeing that yet in 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 gaming um we have not seen the ceo coach i'm not saying that they should be the gm like there should be a very strong GM, but there should be a coach who is very much involved in every stage of like amateur to pro and know what the pipeline is. And part of this is like the replaceability that we're seeing in in some of this stuff, where like the the average NFL coach gets at least two years to try stuff out, or the average college coach gets four years because it's like one full recruiting cycle of four people, like of, of people coming through college. Um, we're not seeing that in, in esports. So you don't have the time to be like analyzing what the next generation is going to do and bring those up. Um, and so I, I'm curious. I think the closest we're going to see that might happen here is Bjergsen. I think Bjergsen mm-hmm. has the potential to do that because he is this huge, huge international player, like one of the greatest all time, maybe the greatest North American player, like an LCS player, not North American player, but uh, maybe the greatest LCS player. Yeah. He's, he's an NA resident, so we'll take him. Uh, maybe he's the greatest LCS player of all time with insane knowledge about the game. But we'll have to see, is he interested in the coaching? Like, is he interested in the um, the aspects of the GM role? Is he interested in the, hey, how do we bring up new players? How do we build training programs? Everything like that. And I, th- I think overall, we're starting to see some of this. Like, uh, 100 Thieves have their, what was it, 100 Thieves Next? Yeah. Um, uh, and then T- TSM does have that program for like for their younger younger folks and various other orgs are getting involved. Um, Evil Geniuses has their like they're really doing a big push into college and various other teams. So I think we're starting to see some of that focus. Um, but for the longest time, it's been like, oh, here's your pro coach and here's your academy coach, and they may never talk. And the problem is, there should be a positional coach. Like there should be eventually. We're going to see a coach. There's going to be a top lane coach. There's going to be a bot lane coach. There's going to be a mid lane coach. There's going to be a jungle coach. There's going to be uh like like we're 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 going to be moving to a point where there's massive coaching staffs and uh and they're all going to have to report to one coach who has the overall philosophy and understands how everybody's going to fit through. 
Like we, that... we we haven't gotten to the point where all these people are like product managers. <laughs> I was actually going to say something about product managers, but I'll, I'll save it for later. Um, I think that's one of the main advantages esports does have over traditional sports right now, is it it mutates and evolves so quickly, so quickly. The, not only the game state because it is constantly being changed by Riot, of course, but just the the uh, infrastructure, the esports infrastructure is changing. Um, but you're correct. Uh, the Bjergsen role shift is is what brought that discussion in my head. I, th- I was thinking um, it's great to have people who are in a position of power at esports organizations who have some recent experience actually playing esports. I know uh, a good majority of esports team owners are previous pro players, um, if not most of them. Um, yeah. But it's usually pro players from very, very early on. Uh, they usually ducked out around season two or season three at the latest. Uh, so they've been out of the game for a while. So it's great to see some recent talent uh, in a in a lead role. Uh, I, I am woefully ignorant of most esports, but I'd love yeah. to see more about what's coming in from, from this perspective. I'll also say that I'm not convinced that the organization needs to be led by people from esports. I mean, having having knowledge of the esports industry is very very helpful. <laughs> but you look at uh, um, you look at uh, FlyQuest, and you look at um, uh, Dignitas, and you look at Golden Guardians, and you look at uh, Evil Geniuses. The heads of those companies are not necessarily these endemic like had been in esports my entire life type people <laughs> people who are very into esports but but not not super endemic with those things but they are absolutely building programs and systems that are going to make those companies and those orgs successful for the next 10 years i um, think i actually have a lot of concern that the orgs that are trading on hey we're ex pros is going to collapse in the next 5 years i think a marriage of the two sort of philosophies is going to be vital to this this type of thing because you i mean you hit the nail on the head one a lot of these people are coming straight from high school or college and who don't have a ton of professional experience in either business or this this type of field um so you definitely need somebody who knows how to do this thing um but i also i also think that the and this is coming from somebody obviously with zero esports experience very little business experience so take everything i say with a massive grain of salt but yeah. I think that the the ability to have sort of that empathy for the player um, from a player's perspective is is definitely important to have in some sort of uh, executive role. Maybe not owner, maybe not CEO or manager or yeah. whatever the term is, but somewhere that they can make decisions and, and keep things uh, in check. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That I think that was my tangent a lot of time of the day. But, <laughs> I, I derailed. You, you also... No, but sure, oh, but go ahead, I, yeah. I'm going to go down more on this. Uh, <laughs> you also have to measure that against so many people are friends in this industry, so they're hesitant to cut someone, mm-hmm. or they're hesitant to move on from a player, or anything like that. I mean, most of the GMs and everybody we have in the LCS are, are not that anymore, but there are some contracts still looming or still have been existing that's based on relationships and stuff. Um, having someone who, like, uh, like I, I don't know if you saw... Uh, Moneyball, but in that, but Billy Bean is famous for not really getting close to the players because it makes it easier for him to do the transactions um, and to treat them as numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I make the best team? Rather than like, I'm this guy with a kid 
is no longer going to have a job type stuff. And it, it, it really, really sucks. Um, and, but on the other, on the other hand, like, like with everybody moving into wanting to do more amateur and everything space right now, like who, who's, who's your number one, like, would you hire someone who is built currently building like esports amateur systems or anything like that? Or do you go hire someone who's been running AAU programs for like basketball players to go from, Hey, I'm playing in middle school to I'm now playing Duke to now I'm playing in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like who's got like it has been doing that for twenty years. Um, like who do you choose? And we're gonna see some some back and forth there where there's like there's a very large amount of reasons why you should choose the esport people, but that experience from someone who's been running an AAU program is gonna be invaluable. Mm-hmm. It's this sort of um, I don't know. It's very hard to quantify. I think that that's an excellent point where there is uh relevant related experience in these roles like like you're saying from an amateur to a professional scene in in a sport and then if you bring these people in they'll have a wealth of knowledge about how the system works but they might not have a wealth of knowledge about how this actual thing works but i think i think you make a good point where at the end of the day there does need to be somebody who can uh (laughs) like you said treat them like a number which is which is yeah an interesting thing but it's it's hard but that's sports because like i have i have a background in doing sports for like the atlanta braves and stuff like stats for the atlanta braves and stuff like that where i did a lot of sabermetrics work and stuff like that back in the day and that's what it had to become like 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 i loved individual players but i'd also be like yeah don't ever put this person in against a left-handed batter period like literally anybody else on the team numbers wide would be better um and it becomes those things and it's it could be situational um like i'm curious if we're going to start seeing more of that like platooning like we have these expanded rosters mm-hmm. that like you could have someone to be like oh you're going up a team that's really heavy on the bot lane okay well we're like the meta change or something like that well we're gonna have this person who's really good at that meta i would love to see that i'd love to see sort of like a, a pinch hitter situation for esports where it's like last minute change I don't know what the lock-in. I'm sure there's lock-in times for when they have to have their yeah. rosters in, but uh, we're gonna put yeah. in tactical instead of double lift or whatever the whatever the thing is. I love that sort of thing. Um, okay, before we get too off track, let's let's circle back to we can well, we can. I, I, I'll say I, okay. I want the I want the I want us to have because we're gonna use this ref for the baseball reference. I want the loogie loogie for for gaming. The if you don't know what loogie is, it's L O O G Y. It's left-handed, one-out guy. It's the guy you bring in who just – he's a left-hander. You bring him in, he strikes out one person, and is gone. <laughs> what, he's, he's just That's like he the – he's like the wild card where you just bring him in because he's different? And yeah, he trips he's, him up? He's, 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 he's very he, – he gets that right-handed batter out. They're not used to him. And then you go back to the other, the other pitchers. <laughs> That's – I know nothing about sports. <laughs> That's a yeah, new one yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. I'd like, I don't know. I'll, I want to talk more about that later because I feel like we're <laughs> anyone who's like listening to this and they're like, I really want to know what Gene does, but they're just talking about esports. Um, I feel bad <laughs> for those people. <laughs> so we're, we'll get back to that, these tangents at the end of the show. Uh, as of right now, let's circle back to um, uh, what are some things that you actually struggle with? Like, what are some things that give you problems at your job? So the the main thing I struggle with is time and and like context switching 
Um, so time being like, I only have sort of so much time and as a resource to give, um, where I'd like to be able to help hundreds of people, thousands of com companies, everything else, but I do have to prioritize things, um, to be able to stay sane, um, and stay sane and to actually like be able to do other things. Cause I could a hundred percent turn my entire job into helping people, but then other, like if I did that, they wouldn't get new APIs. They wouldn't get new uh, documentation. They wouldn't get, like, other games would not launch with third-party support at all. We would not have, like, like Riot sign-on type systems, anything like that. So, like, I have to, I have to balance these things. Um, so that's big. And then it's also the context switching is a really big thing, where it's, like, switching from, I'm thinking from a developer-focused or, like, a third-party developer, where it's, like, I'm a, like, I've been putting myself in their shoes where they're like, I want to build this thing for League of Legends. And I'm like, okay, well, I understand your motivation, why you're doing that. And then switching into a player motivation where it's like, why does a player want this? Like, or like, like, what do they do? And then even more like everything at Riot is built on the concept of player value. And like, uh, at, like, how do we generate, like give the most value back to a player? And do we build this thing or do we build this thing, like which is going to be giving the much, most uh, player value? And devs don't always correspond to that. So making sure that I'm aligned on those two concepts is is a big thing. That's a new yeah. term for me, context switching. That's really, I might be able to utilize that in what I do. Um, yeah. Um, so th th that, those would be really my major ones. Um, yeah. The other one is just like wrangling people down is... is, is is, uh, is something I struggle with because as Riot has grown, like be able to switch between like like being able to, now I have to get, I used to just have League I had to worry about an R and D project. Now I got League and Valorant and Ledger and Terra and TFT and R and D projects and everybody and being like, okay, let's talk dev stuff and then remembering which one's going on and everything like that. The nice thing is we are hiring a bunch of people. Um, so if you're looking for a job and you're a project manager. Uh, we were hiring, I believe, three or four project managers for my team. That's a lot of positions. Hey, get in there. Get your yeah, resumes yeah, in. Yeah, we're expanding. <laughs> Check out his Twitter. I think he tweeted about it a couple of days ago. Yeah, I did. Uh, or Riot Games. It's the only DevRel job. <laughs> we posted it once, but I believe it's four roles. Um, okay, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, this, is, this actually transitions really well into this topic. Uh, what skills would you suggest somebody try to hone if they're getting into this type of job? So I mentioned I mentioned this early where earlier where this is kind of a job that really doesn't exist in the gaming industry except at Riot right now. I think that's not true. Uh it exists over at um Bungie and Roblox. Um and to a lesser extent Steam. Um and it's basically the the concept overall of of this of this program that I run is the developer community and the fans and everybody around the game know what they want way more than we know or can build it better than we can. So why don't we build APIs, tools, data, et cetera, and give it to people so they can build those things? Um, like and a very good example of this is when TFT launched. TFT launched really rushed, really, really quickly. Like I, that team crushed it. But TFT launched with no item builder, no like comp system, no anything like that. But our team was like, cool, we can help, we can mobilize a third-party development community to build things around that. Um, so that they, like, within, like, I think it was, like, four days of release, 
you had the overlays that allowed you to do your item combinations so you could learn the game and everything like that. And I give a lot of credit to that for how quickly the game took off because people were able to skip a lot of that learning experience. Um, and, and, and you see this also with things like Destiny, where it's like Destiny, their uh, dev program over there is focused on like, like managing inventory and various systems like that. Um, with Roblox, it's about how do you build new games you have the same, like with Steam, you use their APIs to be able to build things on coaching. And we do we do a lot of that too, where it's like you have these big companies out there or even small companies who are building tools for how do I automate learning how to get better and comparing myself to other people. Um, so it, 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 like, it's this thing that's, that's we're, we're like people are like, at the big companies are like, oh yeah, this provides value because we don't have to build this thing. But we're also brands that are huge. Um, so people are really invested in building on them. So it's like, would pe would people want to build? Would it would have fifty to one hundred thousand developers wanting to build things on the right API if we didn't have millions and millions and millions of players? Probably not. But could you still be able to build a program around one or two or three or five developers? Absolutely, um, and be able to do stuff like that. So one of the things that I, that I would I would definitely say is. The, the biggest skill here is the, like, there's a, there's a combination of skills. Like, one is, like, can you manage a community? Can you grow, like, uh, something from nothing or maintain it, um, uh, like, and get it to bigger? Like, and get people engaged and passionate about a topic? That's super important. Um, and then the ability to manage products and uh, do that is super, super important because you're, you're having to... Uh, work with multiple teams internally, work with people externally, and understand what the priorities, um, build out prioritization docs, build out pitches for why you would do various things, and all that type of stuff. Um, because uh, some of the things we also have to do is like we have to justify why should we do it with third-party developers rather than do it internally. Um, usually that argument is really easy, um, but that's an argument you have to make. Yeah, no, that that's... That's such a fascinating uh, insight into this job. It really gives a lot of context to, um, like what what you do because, like you said, community management and this sort of project management uh, role. That marriage of those two uh, studies. What's the what's the word? Uh, philosophies or or yeah. skill sets. I bet you that's a lot rarer than than a lot of uh, people may imagine. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is. It's not not an easy group to find, and it's something that you like the really successful product managers have because most of the time, like I do DevRel mostly externally, but like the roles we're hiring and there's a like and very good product managers do that all internally, where you're just like you're managing a community of of various dev teams that are trying to do stuff. And you got to keep them all aligned and going towards one direction with one goal, with like occasional tangents, but like. Like you're doing same same structures. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I love the idea of community management on an internal basis because I don't think I've ever heard of it referred to as that before for an internal group. <laughs> it's a lot of different titles, but like, what do you like that? that it, community management it, internally, but with like hiring power is HR. Yeah, it's HR. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's something that always I don't know if it's frustrating or if it's just it's interesting is how many different names for the same job um mm -hmm. something can be 
And that one's frustrating, but I think what's even more frustrating is when the same name gets used for many different jobs. I think that one's worse. Yeah. Um, Riot because... just made an effort to get rid of all of the weird titles at the company <laughs> and to try and to basically make sure that every, like, there was structure on every title. So it's like, like, we follow similar to the Amazon model where it's like, uh, like your level one, level two, level three, level four, level five, level six, level seven. So that gives you a little, uh, like, like, uh, and like managers have their own thing and executives have their own thing. And so you know where you are on that. And that basically aligns various things across those things and responsibilities, how they're impacting the company, everything. And then trying to remove things like I, like we're moving, I'll be moving from developer relations, senior developer relations to, I believe, product manager, developer relations. Cause I'll be, I'm, that's really what I do, but I'll do it. But the, the product I'll own is developer relations. So no more, no more titles like senior developer of memes and, and yes, stuff like that. None of that. <laughs> Thank, thank God. That stuff is, is rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure some people yeah. are mourning uh, that honestly, loss. Honestly, it makes it so much easier. And so one one that like confused the heck out of me for numerous numerous uh, times was, what is more senior, project manager, product manager, or program manager? Mm -hmm. Those are yeah, those are all PMs, but they mean vastly different things. <laughs> Uh, don't don't even get me started on acronyms in the business world. Acronyms in the business world are a mess, especially in esports, because I feel like esports and, and and gaming in general reuse so many acronyms that are already like standardized in the world, and they're just like, hey, we're gonna use that acronym, but we're gonna use it for something else. And you're like, okay, all right. <laughs> so, 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 so you don't want me to do like CAC, CPC, LTV, MRR, AR, SAAAS, B2C, B2B, R&D. It, it's it's terrible when you're trying to look this stuff up and you look it up and you're like, uh, government tax agency. That doesn't sound right. This is <laughs> yeah. it, it, if you, and this is this is hypocritical of me because I named my podcast like something that's eerily similar to a podcast that's produced by Wall Esports. But if you're doing something, um, and the name of it, what you're doing is like already being taken by a a, a vastly like senior thing try not to do that like i know sometimes it just, it just happens or it's unavoidable but um we, yeah. we have we have that same issue even at the company where it's like we have the riot api which is the external api and then people internally were like we're gonna call this api that runs all these things for riot the riot api and we and we're like no only one riot that's API. ours we can't, have multiple. <laughs> we can't be we'll be so confused uh, you know what you should do? You should do a, a League of Legends battle for it. Whichever team wins gets to take the title of the Riot API. <laughs> Wait, no, we, no, it would have to be a game in all four games. Uh, oh, yeah, like, simultaneously. Simultaneously. Yeah. He has simultaneously. Be, he has to be playing uh, TFT, Legends of Terror, Valorant, and League at the same time. I do occasionally play Legends of Terror and TFT at the same time. <laughs> well, you got um, you got time uh, in between rounds, that long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I love I love TFT. TFT is my favorite game we've made far by far. I was um when we were talking about TFT earlier in the episode and you were talking about how quickly they they crunched it out. Uh we actually had the opportunity to interview two of the members of the original TFT team on the show. Um well, Mortdog yeah. wasn't the the member of the original team, but Alex uh Ranger um mm. who credits himself as a driving force of TFT. 
at the at Riot. And then, yeah, of course, Mort Dog, who who uh, is the lead designer. Um, but yeah, they they I asked them both story about their stories about TFT development, and they have some great uh, TFT horror stories. So if you guys are interested more in about what TFT was like and and what how TFT was developed early on, listen to um, the Riot Ranger two episode. It's like number thirteen or something, and then the Mort Dog episode was number seventeen or something. Um, yeah, okay. That is the end of that section. Let's move on to something that we've already covered. So I'll try my best to, to reword the question so we're not just uh, treading the same water. So <laughs> you wear a lot of the same hats. Or sorry, you wear a lot of different hats uh, in this role. And the community management and the investment advice, many other things. Um, is this typical for this kind of thing? Because I know you say that this is sort of a unique role in the gaming world. Um, people at Bungie, people at, at uh, Roblox, are they doing sort of the same kind of thing or is this really unique to your position so i would say it's unique in that uh i'm probably doing multiple people's jobs rather than someone specializing um on something like we usually you'd have a community specialist or you'd have a uh, tech support specialist or uh, a project or product manager who's like that um i kind of do a bit of all of that um, obviously, I do have a product manager who works with me a lot, but it, but it's also just like a team go figure out how we're going to do this stuff a lot. Um, so it's that. Um, but they, like, if you really heavily index into one of these, like it, that's fine. Um, the, like the big thing is uh, like a VT shift. Um, I, I don't know if anybody on this has talked before, which is like we have a huge uh, depth of knowledge in one in one very like narrow thing but have a broad knowledge about a ton of different things um and this allows you to be dangerous for other things like i have like incredibly d- deep knowledge in like developmental processes and like how does someone how does something go from an idea to being developed um and then i have knowledge of being like product management like community management none of which i would say are my expertise but like it through that T-shaped model, I'm able to like execute at the best of my knowledge, or pull in people that I when I know that I'm over my head um, to be able to do those things. That is an awesome way of looking at it. Um, right now, I would say I am excellent on the the top line. I have a great amount of knowledge about a lot of different things, but I'm I think I'm lacking more on the uh, the vertical line. <laughs> the the vertical line the vertical line is one you have to figure out. I <laughs> I recommend everyone figure out. And you go hard on that. Like, you really, really deep dive on that. Like, I haven't written code for the Riot production in two and a half years. But if anybody at Riot needed me to write code or needed me for a technical discussion, they could pull me in and I could still have that discussion nonstop, easily. Because um, I, 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 on the weekends, I'm coding. I, am, I read books about this type of stuff nonstop uh it's that type of stuff but uh but in, in general for like this type of role there is like the main thing that you have to be very good at is getting developer trust if de- like you have to be someone that can trust and believe that they have your best interest uh at heart because like if a developer thinks that you're just using them or uh like you don't care about them they're they're out they're they're eating themselves out the window um, to steal the, the language of the kids. 
um uh they uh like you that's the biggest thing if you can get if you can build a program with developer trust um everything else you can learn yeah that's great um i'm just gonna skip this one because i think we've already covered that so this is this is great how you talk about uh earning and, and keeping and maintaining trust with with third-party developers um are there any examples of, of third-party devs that, that you've had a great experience with, that you've worked with at Riot? So I purposely try not to call out specific companies because it would, like, it I, as soon as I do, someone's like, Gene favors this company, or Gene uh, is, is endorsing company A, B, or C. Like, I, I think I liked someone's tweet for being like, they raised money or they did something, and someone found it and was like, gene gene only cares about this company and i'm like no guys like like love you all like i want you all to succeed um it's just what surfaces to me um on on social and stuff like that um but uh like there there's been a bunch of them i like one of the coolest things is we we will see about every three months a new vertical pop up uh around uh our ecosystem and like it's always fascinating to see kind of a gold rush of things happen there. So like a few years ago, like I'll, I'll, I'll list out a few of them. Like coaching was a huge thing um, back in the, like, like it, it still is, but like everybody was like, wait, we can actually do coaching with the amount of data you do. And so we had this rush of companies that were doing, doing coaching things. Then it was uh, like tournaments where it's like, we released the tournaments API. And then probably about three or four months ago, people were like, Oh wait, we could just automate League of Legends tournaments every day, every minute of the day, and people could do that. And it's like, well, yeah. And so we had these these companies spin up around tournament stuff and every every everything else like that. Um, and then we had um, stuff like like social giveaways where it's like, hey, play video games, win prizes. That that type of that vertical kind of blew up. And so we've we've gotten these verticals that just like grow and grow and grow. So it's been it's been interesting. The nice thing about our ecosystem is nobody's real. We haven't gotten to the point, and we're it's the ecosystem's massive. We're not. We haven't gotten to the point yet where people are really stealing market share from each other. There's enough to go around for everybody. So one of the things I, I constantly have people come to me and being like, they already had access. They've been working on this, and I'm like, yeah, build it better, um, <laughs> because players are fickle and they'll find the best tool out there and use it. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great thing to say because it's very true. I I can think of examples right now of tools that have been staples in the community for a long time, and then somebody comes along and makes something better, and in within months, within weeks, the the old tool gets surpassed uh, until they do an update or something. Um, uh, I because a different because a different game I can talk about. Wowhead did this excellently in Wow. Wow, like there we used all sorts of different products when playing Wow back in the day. And then Wowhead came around and it killed everything. Like it was the dominant thing. Like I would not be surprised if they had ninety five percent market share for all Wow um, stuff at that time. Like like by like two years of operation. Um, we are we're not there. Um, we we obviously not there. Um, but like these types of things, like people are constantly having to innovate. And like some of the like the the, the hallmarks for me of success are people who have great communication, tell people what they're doing, and it's very clear what this is going to do to for, for players, for anybody using it. Um, and like for like a negative like type thing, 
um, is the people who do not communicate. Like one of the the simplest things that someone, if they want to be successful around the Riot Games ecosystem, is talk to me. Um, because like um, one, I want to know what's going on. I want to be able to keep track of what you're doing. Two, hey, if we know you're doing certain things, that may open up opportunities. It may change our philosophies on things and various things. Like we work very closely with the community on like the community uh, of developers really wants to push envelopes and do things and like get new um, things into client, new ways to do uh, data or anything like that. And we're all and we're we're all we have rules and policies in place. We're really willing to go to bat to change those. Like if like one recently is we had a few companies come to us and they're like, you know, in the tab screen, when you tab in league, you can see the timers for dragon and baron and everything else like that. And it's like, yeah, it's like, why can't we just put an overlay over your mini map that shows those same timers? And I'm, I'm like, and they're like, and I'm, they're like, all we're removing is you having to hit tab. Um, you st- like, and I'm, and I'm like, this, this makes sense. Like, <laughs> this was a rule built back in the day when, like, we were like, whatever. But like, this makes sense. Also, like, the, the, the kind of rule of thumb for my, could, could I do this on a piece of paper next to my screen? Yeah, I could do this on a piece of paper next to my screen. So why can't we just do it in the game? And we talked to the, the league team, and we went back and forth there, and they're like. Yeah, this this actually this sounds fine. Yeah, let's let's do this. Let's allow this, and so we're allowed to. We we make these changes to the game and to the dev ecosystem that allow these types of tools to propagate. That's that's such a good story because I remember I've been playing League for a long, long time. Probably not quite as long as you, but a long, long time. Um, and I, I remember for like six years. Oh, okay, okay. So I might have I might have some historical knowledge on you, but there was a time where this this program I forget what it was called. Um, they were very popular and they had um they introduced this feature uh for jungle timers where it would show up when a camper was responding. And this was way, way, way previously before there was even an indicator on the map that there was going to be yeah. a camp spawning. Um and very, very quickly Riot's like, nope. Slammed it down. Uh and since then, like you said, the the game has changed a lot. There's way more information available to you in the game itself. Um yeah. And it's really interesting to see that that rule changed because the game changed. So that's a great story yeah. to to show that yeah, there's a lot of flexibility going on in there. We're all we're also always looking for things that will help the make game become more accessible to people. Like, sure, like and, and like and and try and thinking about the philosophy of like, does doing this in your head actually like make like is that a skill expression we want to show um and and like like should the skill expression be i can mentally track the timers of everybody's or something like or like the or the 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 camps and stuff like that they started tracking those and with like in the client because they were like yeah that's not something that should be a skill you have to learn i mean sure you can learn it it makes your job much easier if you do but doesn't have to um and we think about this like with the dev ecosystem and policies around all of our games like with tft the skill expression is being able to make uh, enough, like being able to make decisions in a very short amount of time and pivoting as you can. So we like we try and uh, direct people to not impact those decision-making windows. Like, sure, you can do the item changer. You can show them, hey, these are all the comps that like people are playing right now. But don't do contextual information about various things. Um, 
there, there, like there, there was some other stuff. Like when do you remember when TFT launched? Uh, if you had two of a character, it wouldn't show. Like there was nothing special about the third one. Like there's no stars next to whatever. You just had to click and do it. Our community is like, well, that's dumb. Can we just put like a, an overlay that just like recognize if you have two ashes, it like blinks or something over the third ash, so you don't miss buying it. And we're like, I mean, that makes sense. And we talked to the TF team and they're like, yeah, we're planning on building this anyway. Uh, they want to do it for the next two weeks in the meantime, sure. Um, and stuff like that. There was a very brief amount of time uh, in season two, I think, of TFT or set two of TFT where they had that feature. But I think there was an uh, intentional choice that was made to delay it when you're rerolling so that it only pops up after like a second. So. There was, uh, I think, I forget who said it, but there was skill expression where if you were rolling really fast, you couldn't just be like, roll, oh, there it is. You have to actually see the character. And I think that's since yeah. been changed because I, I definitely noticed it coming up a lot faster. But I love yeah. that somebody at Riot thought that, like, that one second, that's a great time to add some skill expression to the roll down um, because roll down yeah. was really important back then. I think it's become less. Yeah, it's not as important now. Yeah. Um, but uh, the uh, like another one is like we 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 obviously want to prevent like same technology. People have wanted to build things that put an overlay like a circle or something like that over. Uh, like I I I say I want canes. Uh, and. Like, I only have one, so it shouldn't circle anyway. It shouldn't show anything. But I'm rolling down, and I want it to show the overlay the minute it sees a cane, because otherwise I'll I'll miss it. Mm -hmm. Like, we're like, nah, nah, you can't do that. Like, because that's not part of part of that thing. That That is, that is, that becomes unfair, because you're like, I'm highlighting things, and it does make that rolling process much easier yeah. Um, for, like, two, three, four, et cetera. Yeah, at what point, uh, where do you draw the line? Because at what point does... Does somebody just generate like an auto roller where you're just like, I want this unit, this unit, I this will unit. I come after that so hard. <laughs> uh, that is part of my job I haven't talked about. I work very closely with legal and brands and mm -hmm. the game teams, and we shut down products that change gameplay and uh, negatively. We we've only had to since I started at Riot had to outright like kill six companies, um, but we have massaged and redirected companies down a like a more holistic um happy path um over over the last few years um but yeah that's something i have to work a lot with uh legal and stuff like that around if you can uh, later i'd like to talk a little bit more about that because i think that's that's something that doesn't get a lot of attention these days but we'll circle back to that uh in, in the yeah last uh, the amount of people who don't understand ip rules and ip law um shocking and i know there's a topic <laughs> later about the twitch and i have a spicy take on it okay all right i think i i think we'll have both some interesting discussion points about it because i don't yeah. think it's as open and shut as twitter would have you believe no. i mean um, i think it's open and shut but i think it's open and shut the other way uh oh okay okay we're getting ahead of ourselves <laughs> um this is actually that's actually a good tangent not that part but the previous part uh without naming any names obviously if you can has there been any devs who have just been a pain in the butt to work with uh just like this is a bad experience for everyone involved so so obviously i can't i'm not going to name anybody but i can say things that 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 have been done that will obviously get you on my shit list immediately and get you on riot shit list it's like cool don't answer any of our communications uh not a good idea 
not a good idea to uh um not a good idea to not answer our emails answer our communications or talk to us do not release features without running them by them especially if they're going to massively change player gameplay um that can that can really really run afoul of us quickly um do not try and sell player data that will absolutely get you uh like in hot water very quickly um uh like there's stuff like that um like if, if uh, or or really breaking our tos or using ip to um like connect your brand with riot's brand like using the riot ip to further your own brand and being like we have a partnership when you don't have a partnership um stuff like that um and then the biggest is like you're building something that's going to break a game or break the competitive landscape um that's when my ion cannon comes up and we burn something to crisp yeah so those are all things that you you shouldn't do when you're working yes on a project but that someone right. has done so <laughs> but somebody has done this is this yeah. is all not new ground uh what are some yeah. things that a new dev should know when approaching riot for a project like this have a clear vision of what you're doing. Um, I mean, we, we to be fair, we accept everybody. Like we have community developers. If you want to join developer, it's discord.gg slash riotgamesdevrel. Or if you want to join developer.riotgames.com, you can find the link there as well. Um, we allow anybody. Like there's there's a dev key side, which is like here's your experimentation, you're trying stuff out, etc. We allow everybody to do that. But the minute you're trying to start to earn money or build a company here, we need to talk, um, uh, and maybe that can be through text message, like 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 through Discord. That can be through the developer portal. That can be through email, etc. But it's all about we we need to know about what's going on there and like having. And we have hundreds of companies in the ecosystem that are uh, almost thousands that are making money and doing these things and are very we're fine with them and they're good. People just need to make sure that. Like they follow guidelines and policies and systems in there. And honestly, our community from the Discord is will find things and tell people, hey, you can't do that and help them find a way to do it before sometimes I'll find it. Um, and so I'll be like, I'll come in and be like, like kicking down the door, being like, I'm so upset. Why are you doing this? And they're like, it's okay. We already have a board. We already took it down. We're moving. We have this plan. Here you go. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So now I can just get like, like throw away anger and continue to move on. Because um, I'm I'm also very quick to for, forgive and forget. Because um, I can understand where it's like, hey, I'm trying to do something, I'm trying to do this, but at the same time, you really do have to follow our policies and don't do anything illegal. Don't do betting. Don't do oh, don't do betting. Don't do cryptocurrency. Don't do blockchain. Those things will get you on Riot's shit list so quickly. That's like I think you just wrote a white paper for a venture capitalist fund. <laughs> <laughs> That might be a joke. I, that might be a joke that everyone gets. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. I get uh, tweeted at or DM'd or emailed or something that I'm publicly enemy number one for the cryptocurrency, blockchain, gaming industry uh, at least once a week or every two weeks. <laughs> like with people, people yelling at me nonstop about like, because I, I have a tweet that just automatically goes out being every two weeks being like, don't build anything blockchain I've seen don't that. build anything <laughs> cryptocurrency and and people always are like why do you hate innovation and i'm like solve data privacy and we can talk mm -hmm. but you can't and then with the cryptocurrency 
any way you're going to do it, you're going to be selling data and making money off player data, like like you're making it a transactional thing. Also, something we're not going to allow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then wagering—that's an international law okay. thing we're going to have to run into. Part of the prep work. esports. If you want to gamble on esports, there are ways to do that. Uh, and esports team, the esports org at Riot has figured out ways to 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 work with partners. I think to do that. I'm not sure. Uh, part of the prep work for this episode, I actually came in and sat sat in uh, while I was working on one of the office hours for Dev Relations, and I thought that that was just like super cool. I saw your tweet about it, and I'm like, this seems like a really uh, cool thing for G to do because I, I obviously hadn't talked to you much at that point. So I came in and I sat through and I just was uh, on my second monitor <laughs> watching the Discord it, questions. And I thought that was it, uh, a great thing. And we, we alternate between doing them in Discord um, and then doing them on a live stream. This week is a live stream on Twitch. Um, and we'll do an hour. It'll be 11 to 12 this Friday, Pacific Standard Time. And we have, I think we already have queued up like 40 something questions, but then we'll take questions from anybody who has them and we'll talk about like, hey, this is my, what we're going towards or anything like that. It's a really cool thing. I, I, it's one of, it's one of those things where I had to figure out for scale because I get sometimes the same question 200 times a week. And I was like, well, how do I solve that? And I was like, well, what if I did video and everybody who's asking me this question is watching this they can't ask it again because I can just send the clip or someone can be like, Gene answered it here. Yeah. Um, I, I've been helping support the, the support team at our company uh, over the last few months because we've uh, had pretty much exponential growth based on uh, COVID. Um, and <laughs> I can say without, without a doubt, uh, you get thousands of the same question every day. Just, just, it's so easy if you can create a, a resource. We have a help center that we can direct people yeah. to. Um, but generally speaking, what we do is we have macros that we go through, and we just have cookie-cutter responses that don't really look like cookie-cutter responses to questions. And yeah. people appreciate that if, if it looks like you're giving a, a personal touch to a response, yeah. even, I, if it's just, so even if it's just a question that's just like, how do a, I open a, up your program? <laughs> A peek behind the curtain, I have a Google Doc, which is probably 40 pages long, which is like 11 responses to uh, like different types of responses to the most common 20, 30 questions I get. So I just copy and paste that over and everything like that. Have uh, you ever heard of Text it, Expander? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I actually have a Stream Deck hooked up to some <laughs> custom software to do it. Um, yeah, I use, I use the Stream Deck as my macro software. That's fantastic. I'm sure Agata yeah. was uh, uh, that way. They were anticipating that when they made that. They were not, uh, but they're <laughs> like so. I, I obviously I come from more tech industry, and everybody in the tech industry after like the the the, the stream deck was existed for a while, and then everybody in the tech industry was like, "Wait, we could use this for a lot of other stuff." Yeah, let's let's do that. And so now I know like video editors that are heavily using it, and like deploy like I know people writing deployment tools that are on a press of a button in systems. And it's, it's, it's such a cool thing. Um, yeah. And for anyone who's familiar with Linus Tech Tips, there's a video editor there who's been there for pretty much. Oh, really? Yeah. He's been there for a long time. Uh, Taryn, I think his name is. And he has um, like four keyboards and a stream deck. And he has like stickers on all his extra keyboards that are all like different macros he's set up uh, for use. And uh-huh. he even has the stream deck t- set up where there's like folders and you go inside. 
he has so many different macros for video editing. Um, he has a video about it, I'm sure. Uh, but it's insane. Yeah. It's it's like over like three or four hundred probably, if not more. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's crazy. That's insane. I, I I know with that type of workflow, it's probably a lot of duplication and, mm-hmm. and systems like that. Um, but I yeah I I actually I I sometimes I'm like I wish I had a flow where I just like ingested work at nine a.m. And I had a process I had to follow for the rest of the day. And at the end of two days or after the end of the day, it was just done. Nothing. I, I don't have anything like that. It's all just like just constantly moving. Mm-hmm. I think that's tech tech in general, but yeah. it's it's probably a lot more focused on in, in your role. Um, yeah. Shoot. That was that's something that you mentioned. It, it, advice for people trying to improve their efficiency is like you said, if you can put in a couple hours of work to reduce future work even by like 5% or or 5 seconds uh by like for example writing a macro or doing something that will shave time off uh, just do it yep. it saves so much time um yeah, i'm notoriously I, bad I at told, this sorry <laughs> i told my team i told my team earlier this this year i this is why i think i was tweeting about it i told my team i was taking a week where i was doing no other work but analyzing my process and analyzing how I did my work and figuring out what could stay and what could go and building processes, systems, Excel docs, et cetera, around that, that it made it as efficient as possible, which meant like at the end of it, I only saved, I believe, like 20 minutes per day, but 20 minutes per day over the course of, of, a, of a week, that, that's, that's, that's a significant amount of time that I now have, I've actually not budgeted anything to be taking that time and it's now experimentation or take a break or anything where sometimes i didn't have that week yeah i envy i envy your organization and and uh driven ability because that that's something that i struggle with a lot i'll do something uh, in efficient way even if i know it's inefficient until i'm basically forcing myself to be like okay fine go through here and fix this and make it better for next yeah. time I think it's it's it, it come helps from that I have an engineering background where I can build some like scripts and stuff like that to automate some of the most manual things where it's like oh it's like oh I gotta do this okay well I built a Chrome extension that does this automatically. <laughs> I tried I tried I, I'm not untechnical but I'm definitely not like a technical person in terms of engineering um, and I've tried so many times to automate or or do an auto hockey script or something for. Um, a thing at my company and every time it's just like it ends up being more work than it's worth for something that I can't even get work properly so I wish I had had a little bit more of that engineering experience just so I could come in and, and that, do that, that is a situation where you should have a doc of every time you've had that thought process of everything and you write down and, and you make an estimation of how much time it would solve and then once you have five to ten of those you bring that to an engineering product manager or an engineering manager, or whatever, and it's like, hey, if you do these things, I will fix it'll it'll clear up this amount of my work my workload, and I'll be able to take on more stuff. And they may look at it and be like, oh, this actually might fit in other things. And so that's something where I like I con- like constantly identifying where pain points are, where it's like this feels very inefficient, and like understanding we can't fix it right now, but in the future this will be a fix. Yeah, I think. Part of the struggles with that is that our engineering team is just like currently ridiculously underwater. underwater. <laughs> the, yeah. the bandwidth is like they're they're not 
it's like anything that's not external is like so low on the priority list that it's just i probably shouldn't talk but about the, it but they anyway. might be willing to to pay for something like an upwork engineer or somebody like a contractor to spend two hours building out a like a feature thing yeah i'm sure i don't know it, it's not something that i have any uh a lot of say in anyway so yeah. but that's just I, I love i love talking about that kind of thing where we're if you can make yourself more efficient just try to do it it gets better (laughs) everything that you can do to make your time worth a little bit more will help a lot um okay i think we covered pretty much everything in terms of the main talking points let's uh let's rip a little so (laughs) sure let's talk about the hot topic this week i think i think it's already past the the bell curve a little bit but i want to bring it back up because i know we got some things to say about it uh, Google Stadia Creative Director, who I think has since changed his title on his Twitter to something else, distancing him a little bit from Stadia, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. He says that streamers should pay publishers uh, a license fee to stream their games. And when this went out, within minutes, within hours, within the day, um, Twitter and subsequent connected Twitter spheres exploded with outrage and and very angry people uh being mad at this person who's saying like hey you should give us more money to play your game and market your game for free and that was an argument that was thrown around a lot it was the argument um where streamers are free advertising for every game and and that is uh something that publishers should only be happy about um and <laughs> i have mixed feelings about this because coming in as a as a amateur streamer and as a gamer I agree with the fact that um, a lot of the time, studios and publishers are getting a lot of free uh, publicity from these these people. But at the same time, um, looking at it from a from a publisher's perspective or even a developer's perspective, when you're playing a game like like I think the example I used was The Last of Us or or a very narrative focused game, um, if you're playing that on stream and you have a hundred people watching you. Uh, and they see you watch, they see you play through the whole thing. How likely is it that they're going to go and actually be like, "Hey, I want to buy Last of Us Two as well." I think that likelihood goes down more for that type of game than it does yeah. up for. I think your lost sales are going to exceed your uh, advertising, marketing sales. Um, and I know that you you said you had something spicy, so let's hear it. I want to I want to talk about it. So, so my spicy take is not that necessarily that streamers should be paying licensing fees. Um, is that it, it actually depends on streamer. It's that the platforms themselves will probably one day need to pay licensing fees. So Twitch, Discord, Twitch, um, YouTube, etc. will probably one day need to start paying licensing fees to uh, these game companies. Um, I'm not speaking, by the way, not speaking on behalf of Riot here. This is me, like, uh, this is me just speculating for the future. Um, the, uh, that, that, that seems like a model that will happen. I believe that there will be streamers, uh, that will have to pay, actually. Because there, we have seen the rise of streamer and streamer networks, which are main, almost like reporting sites where they're doing things like Sports Center and stuff like that. Um, Sports Center pays a license fee for every clip they use on ESPN. Like they don't just have, like, they don't just use those clips. 
and do whatever. They pay a license fee or they pay someone who's recorded or anything like that, or they have a standing contract with someone. We're going to see that starting to happen more, um, especially when it's in the esports space, because the esports space is one of the biggest things where people are struggling to make money in any way. So I think actually the, the place we'll see this the most is that type of stuff. Like, could we see um, like streamer programs where um, you get to concurrent stream or something like that around things or you get to do stuff um, that will may, maybe, but I, I'm, I'm mainly looking at the, the programs where it's like directly competing with a studio on something where it's like, if a studio has, I'm really trying not to use Riot as an example. If a studio has a set of podcasts or a set of recap shows and stuff like that, and then, and they, that's where they want people to get their content but then someone else out there is running a business and they take that that those audio and video clips and everything from the, the match and do the same thing where does that sit um like because because it is it is you're not playing the game you are you are you are commentating on top of it that's where i start to to get uh or, or you you're using it as a as a news source that's where i start to get uh um uh i start to get interested um but overall i feel like in the future we're going to start looking at um possible licensing deals with i mean riot will i'm not saying riot will but i i see i see a world where gaming companies will find additional revenue sources or some sort of rev share mm-hmm. with uh the publishers which will eliminate a lot of this concern around the streamers um, because I, I know, and I've spoken to BD folks around the industry who look at influence and they're like this billions and billions of dollars of, indi- of, of money. Sure. It may like, like what percentage, like what is the actual ROI on an influencer? And we we still don't really know that on all these things. Um, do I think this type of thing will happen with free to play games? No, free to play games will stay just like influencers go nuts. But on paid games, we're going to start seeing more and more stuff because, as you said, like, is someone going to play Uncharted if someone watched all of Uncharted? I'm exactly like that. Um, uh, um, so, so we'll see what's 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 going on there. Yeah. Um, that that's that's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, I'd like to see if companies like youtube and and google or sorry youtube and twitch will try to offload those costs a little bit onto some of the top percentage streamers like will so and so who streams to ten thousand people will they have to pay or is twitch going to eat that cost and take some more rev share from bits or something um i'm going to distance myself oh sorry go ahead no and 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 it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how that continues to grow um, because like the influencer industry, huge makes makes it very possible for us to do a lot of things. Makes games huge, etc. Like I credit a lot of Riot and Twitch's growth is was like symbiotic, where Twitch came around and Riot came around, and League became the biggest game on Twitch, and Twitch had this huge like game to be able to do stuff, and so both of them got to grow around that thing. So it was very symbiotic. But now that there these platforms are established, the power dynamic is different, um, and it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what happens here. Do I think c- 
company, like people used Among Us a lot in this uh, space where Among Us would not have been huge without mm -hmm. streamers. And I'm like, yes, yes, that's why I'm saying free to play games. Still not like it's gonna be fine. Yeah. Um. Or or there will be games, but if when you're talking about a big budget, hundred, two hundred, three hundred billion dollar development cycle for some of some of these games, they're gonna like calculus will change. Where it's like if someone's like, hey, the influencer industry is going to bring us three hundred million dollars on this, I don't know, MMO RPG shooter in space where you fight aliens that are from the moon. Um, I just mixed like four games, didn't I? Um, that's uh, that's uh, actually the setting of the new Halo game. You predicted that, it. Okay, no, I'm joking. I was, like, I'm joking. I, was, I, was, I was going WoW and Destiny and and stuff like that. And uh, if uh, if people are doing if, if if they're like if they look at that and they're like, okay, we got to make a billion dollars back. How do we do that? And and so and the, the Rev Strat and everybody else looks at it and they're like, cool. Well, we'll make. A hundred million dollars from people who watch streamers and then buy the game, but we predict we will lose two hundred million dollars in the process. Then the calculus becomes cool. Do streamers? Do we care about streamers, or do we not want people streaming, or do we block streaming, or something like that? Um, like, do I think that'll happen? Probably not. But that that is that is calculus that will have to happen. Mm -hmm. And and part of the thing that everything is everybody's dancing around here is the old whole actual legal aspect, um, which is legally these game companies can do this. Um, and so what I what I actually foresee happening before any of these other things happen is someone will actually get some laws passed um, or regulations passed around this type of stuff, which will allow better fair use monetization. Yeah. What is actually like covered here? Well, the fair use argument has been hovering around on YouTube and in the content creator community for a long time. And there's some great videos about it. And there's some great videos about how a lot of people just misuse the term and misuse the concept a lot. Uh, I think As someone who was pre-law, um, I would say that most people who tell me uh, it's fair use do not understand what fair use means. There's a there's a pretty good video by Tom Scott about the copyright situation on YouTube. Yes, Tom's great. Yeah, uh, it's about 55 minutes. If you have time, give it a watch if you're interested in this kind of thing, obviously. Uh, it's it's not very dry at all. It's actually just an entertaining video. So, uh, But it, it goes into a lot more depth on how copyright and and uh, fair use actually work online. Um, it usually, it mostly goes for like videos and stuff like that, but I'm sure there's a lot of stuff there that's applicable to games. But real quick, I want to distance myself from you real quick so I can make some, some hot takes that aren't related to what he's saying um about how riot does co-streaming and how riot does stuff for lcs so i think that that a lot of the head content creators right now uh not calling anyone else specifically but people who co-stream lcs um and they have these broadcasts i think that they are um they're acting a little entitled in, in this sort of thing because a lot of the there was a lot of controversy a few months back coming from a few streamers who were disallowed co-streaming because of their attitudes or their, their behavior or something like that. And, and their fans were up in arms. They were saying like, I don't want to watch the, the LCS broadcast. I want to watch this broadcast. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's the point. You're taking away views from the official broadcast, which Riot is making money on, and you're going to give money to um, so-and-so who 
badmouse the company every five minutes. Uh, I think that's a that's a pretty fair stance to take by Riot, uh, and obviously uh, it, 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 it. I will I will get some probably blowback on this one, but uh, I will say that gamers are entitled. Gamers feel very very entitled as one who like I believe that every game should always work and everything like that. Um, these do come back to businesses. All games come back to being businesses, <laughs> and if you want a game to continue, it needs to like be sustainable um and like co-streaming like maybe i i I know i know zero thing about uh um co-streams but i can talk about this in in a developer-centric space where if individual developers are building out sites um and they're all using uh like and they're all doing ad like google ads um on their sites and so you have these 20 30 40 sites out there it is splitting an audience through all of those ad, ad through all those ads, and the money is being distributed through different ones. Versus, hey, these thirty sites, I negotiate with an ad partner, and and they they will all so in, in this in this example, all of them have negotiated separately with ad partner and get different costs per monetization, like how much someone's making per ad click and stuff like that. So some are making three dollars, some are making. Two dollars. Some are making a dollar. Some are making fifty cents um, per per click, per ad, buy, etc. Um, but if someone comes in and is like, "I will represent all thirty of these at once," um, and goes to them, it's like, "Hey, it's not one site. It's all thirty sites and all of their viewership and all of their links." You can negotiate a much higher uh, like ad rate and be like, "Everybody gets six dollars. Everybody gets seven dollars for things like that." Um, that's that, that type of stuff is, is kind of where I look at this philosophy where it's like, I know very, very little. I don't really want to like, like say too much about it. Cause I, I, I am out of my depth here, but that, that's something that I'm sure they have to consider where they are trying to negotiate deals with advertisers and businesses and doing like, here's the viewership and they don't control the content. They don't control the, that's on these streams. They don't control the public correctness mm-hmm. the pr whatever on any of them because like if you have a hundred thousand two hundred thousand people on a site but it's also advertising something very unsavory or negative is the ad actually valuable and there be, there's or becomes the person makes fun of the ad nonstop. Yeah. does that is the ad valuable it, it becomes to the point where are i think is the ad valuable is is losing importance versus like you said is this damaging to the brand itself is this damaging to the advertiser um like you said if some of them are making fun of the ad but um i think <laughs> to quote you gamers are entitled i think that that really goes uh i think that extends to a lot of just like influencers today i think the the internet has evolved so much in the past five years in the past 10 years that it, it was sort of like the wild west five to ten years ago where where there was just no rules there was no anything there was, there was just a bunch of people sitting in front of their computer gaming and and it's changed to the point where now people are making hundreds of billions of dollars um organizations based entirely on streaming and content creation so yeah the rules have to change a little bit and and people will get mad at at companies for for enforcing brands rules on a streamer who it, uh, 
to be perfectly frank, is just being a very uh, negative and, and, and toxic person in terms of the brand. Like if if you are constantly bad-mouthing aspects of a company in terms of, of just saying terrible things about them and, and, and about individual people at that company, why why are you entitled to that company's assets to make money? Like, like why should they uh, not just treat you like anyone else they're actually supporting you with certain yeah. tools and benefits programs so yeah. i think that's going to be a, a, a hard realization a lot of these content creators have to face in the coming years hopefully fingers crossed i, uh, I have a recommendation for another guest who can talk a lot about that oh, uh, i'd love I to talk with them in case they that. in case they uh don't want to in case they're okay. like, they don't want to be publicly named but i will tell you the person who okay. or, like would be able to probably talk at authority on this episode after the show, I want to yeah. I want to talk more about that and see if we can line something up because I I would yeah. love uh, this is a very near and dear topic to my heart and a lot of people in my friend group so um, yeah fingers crossed we'll be able to talk more about that in the future um sure. but yeah yeah I think we got a little bit off topic but no um, no it's no it's 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 just, it's a super interesting space um I think one of the biggest problems right now is there is no real regulation. The closest is like you must put hashtag ad, you must do mm-hmm. call out when you're actually advertising. But the amount of free gifts and stuff that happen in the gaming industry and stuff like that is insane. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely insane to me. Like it, today was the day everybody got a Xbox One or One X or got a PlayStation. Uh, those are four hundred whatever, six hundred, five eight hundred dollar devices, whatever they are. And nobody really is like ad. They're like they sent it to me. I'm like, that that's that's an ad. Like you put it on on the internet. That's an ad. Um, so I come I come from having to deal with a lot with the U.S. government, and deal with the U.S. government. You can't take anything from anybody. Like I think it was it was like forty dollars or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Like you you go to a conference that has that knows the biggest largest chunk of it is military folks or government folks. Like they'll be like, here's swag item, and with the exact price and receipt, so they can write it off and like <laughs> say I did not get bribed, um, and stuff like that. Like I took bribery training every year for four and a half years, um, sometimes twice a year, um, and uh, uh, like it's a big thing. So I am very hesitant to take any gifts or anything within the industry. Um, like people have like been like, here's a free, here's a free hoodie, here's whatever, and I'm like nah like this would this 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 means that i owe you something um or like i i'm going to treat you differently or anything and so it's like i think that's one thing that something's gonna have to give where i i'm i'm a little i was a little i don't know like disgusted is is too strong of a word but i was a little uncomfortable with the fact that there's so many people in the industry being like here's my ps4 ps5 review or whatever and it's like this is an ad yeah only you got this early this was not a news thing. This was an ad. What do you think about the people who who will say, they'll disclose, like, I received this game or this console early to review for free? Do you think that's strong enough, or do you think that's still, it's not really... If, if it is a press outlet, if you're or you're treated like a press outlet re- reviewing it and stuff like that, and there are editorial standards and stuff like that, awesome. That's, that's how it should work. Um, it's the... 
literally everybody who is a, like a major player in the game industry mm-hmm. got one today. Mm-hmm. Like, I, uh, I, uh, I love Corey Balrog. Uh, uh, works over on uh, like very closely here. Works over on uh, God of War and stuff. But like he tweeted out, like just got like my look what Sony sent me today, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is an ad. That's like it's it's, it's scary because people don't want to give up stuff. <laughs> people like stuff, and free stuff is awesome. I'll just point out if you are interested in giving uh, Gene anything for free, you can go through me and I'll accept it on his behalf. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, yeah. that's I mean, a gr- obviously I do like, it's an industry that thrives on free stuff, mm-hmm. but like if someone was like, Hey, I'll give you an RTX uh, 3090 or 3080, I'd be like really, really hard for me to do. Mm-hmm. And I'd probably be like, I'll take it and then use it as a prize to give out to someone. I would not actually use it. Or I'd give it to like be like, okay, Riot uh, Research and Development Lab, you now have a thirty eighty or thirty ninety, um, stuff like that. Like I do, I like I do take stuff occasionally, but it like it it has to be very clear, and the friendship has to be like uh, genuine, or there's nothing like relationship based there. Like I know that there's like there's a lot of I'm gonna use Nvidia or Intel or whatever companies where like doing a lot of work with them. It's literally just part of their budget to be like everybody they sign a deal with this year gets something yeah. like they just send something out and it's like okay well that's that that's that thing and then i just like it, it it's part of the deal it's not a it's not a like a benefit and i can justify it that way um but i i think we're going to come to a point where governments and laws will be passed around streamer be, not behavior but streamer work like what is what is going on here what's what's being done um more transparency is going to be made available um but it but it's a uh, it's in it's interesting cuz like the number one aspirational job that high school students right now say is they want to be a professional youtuber mm-hmm. not be an astronaut not be a lawyer not to be a doctor it is not even close everybody wants to be a professional youtuber um and that was not the case 4 years ago 3 years ago so seeing seeing what happens and uh, how this industry grows along that space is going to be fascinating. Yeah, there there's some fascinating statistics that Twitch has released. Um, it's probably a few years old at this point, but there was something about eighty percent growth in new streamers on the platform, and most of them only last like a couple months or something like that. There, mm. I'm not quoting the exact statistics, but the general gist of it was. Uh, there was an explosion of growth in in new streamers, and it usually goes like a bell curve where it's like massive growth, and then they try streaming, and then they realize it's a lot of work and a lot of mm. nothing. Um, holy moly! <laughs> Talk about that a little bit more in a second. Um, but it, it's it's really fascinating to see that very 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 young people are looking to get into this, like like. 10 years old, 9 years old, they're looking at Ninja, they're looking at Tifu or whoever the popular streamer is these days. Um and they're they're seeing like like you said, it's not astronaut anymore, it's streamer. Uh and I don't know how I feel about that. It feels like the kind of it, it it's almost like people who grew up wanting to be a celebrity or something where I don't it's it's so unattainable and I hate saying this because like you don't want to be a dream killer, but it's so unattainable 
for 99.9999% of people. Um, hard yeah. work and, and sacrifice and perseverance do not pay off in this realm in the level that it does in any, in any other realm. Um, yeah. I think the easiest way to compare it is to, is the acting and celebrity in, uh, the, stardom. The, the only reason I'm kind of okay with it is it is such a low cost of trying mm -hmm. and burnout and missing. It's not going to ruin your life if you fail. Um, like like doing some other like things where it's like you have to sink tons of money and time and everything sure let's the content creator but it also i feel like it's going to teach a lot of people a lot of things mm -hmm. that they need to learn that they might not other otherwise learn like how do i sign a beat like a bd deal how do i cold call how do i cold email um how do i like present myself how do i learn um like a person how do i build a persona how do i do all these different types of things that's um, that's which I think are incredibly powerful that's really really interesting that you go there because because in my mind i was focusing more on um the people who start streaming and they realize that they're gonna get no viewers um because it's very very saturated um and then they just give up uh, but i love that yeah. you went to the point where where they get to the point where they could consider it as like a a um as like a source of income or a way to to gain uh, experience and stuff, uh, and that's an optimistic and, and, way of looking at it. <laughs> well, any anyone who wants to do it as a full time job should like figure out some of that stuff anyway. Like mm -hmm. they should like before they're going in. Like the amount of I, what disgusts me right now is the amount of people that are being like, "I'm going to buy everything from Elgato, basically a thousand dollars, and then I'm going to start streaming." I'm like, "Cool, you could stream on your phone. You could stream on a toaster." Um, uh, uh, like it, 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 everything. Like I, I have a nice mic, but it's still just like a budget mic. I think this was seventy bucks. Mm -hmm. Like I could invest in something that's like hundreds of dollars and minimal increase from my perspective. I know other people would disagree with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so I get terrified about that stuff. Um, but I, but I, I think that, like, have looking at something like this as like I'm being an entrepreneur um is is more it's like what they're thinking of not just being i'm a content creator yeah um but because like i like i, I i'm worried though because I, I look at people like uh mr beast who i think is a like a business like genius like i think he's an e-commerce like wizard um but everybody's like he's making so much money he's making so much money he's got millions in the bank whatever mr beast doesn't have that much money he puts almost everything back into that business he had to borrow money or later earlier last year to be able to do some of his projects. Yeah. Um, and it's all about the business uh, and doing that type of stuff. And, and people are just like, it, it's easy for him. He works his ass off. He lives in like the fact that he's also been able to execute that while living, not in a major city is incredible, but it's also one of the reasons he's been successful because everything's cheaper. So mm -hmm. I was like, he did his like 50 car giveaway and I, I mentally took a piece of paper and like uh, uh, wrote down like all the cars. And I was like, how much would it cost if you did this in Los Angeles, just in taxes? Yeah. And it was insane. Like, like you yeah. couldn't do it. Um, so he's in the perfect place to do those things. And so I'm curious to see what happens there. That's an awesome example. Mr. Beast uh, actually lives in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, near the ECU campus. Uh, which I know because I've met him while I was in Greenville. <laughs> he was running yeah. around with his posse, uh, and they were doing some sort of video or something. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, 
The only just, reason I knew that was because he had videos where people would be wearing Braves gear, and I'm like, cool, he's somewhere in the south. In the south. <laughs> Um, from what I know, I don't, I don't follow Mr. Beast. I'm not a fan of his content. Not that I don't like it, him, but I just not entertained by yeah. it. Um, but from what I can tell, I think he has, uh, he does business in LA. I think he does have, uh, some sort of residence over in LA and I think he does some stuff over there, but I think like you said, he does the majority of his business and content creation his in Greenville. Is, is yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. In Greenville, North Carolina, which is, uh, for people who don't know it's not a big town. It's basically just a college town. Price of living is through the floor compared to something like uh, Los Angeles or even the capital where I live, Raleigh. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, that's a interesting thing to point out. Um, Like various other things like tax rates and everything else. Yeah. Um, Shoot. What was I going to, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to focus on this because I didn't, before we got too far away from it, Um, content creators who are in games. And then review those games. Uh, for an example, for two examples, I want to point out. The the first one would be uh, the game Walking Simulator 2019 or whatever it was. Uh, Norman Reedus and the Funky Fetus, whatever it was called. Um, <laughs> that game. There was so many content creator celebrities that were in that game. And then they would come out and they would do reviews. And they're like, this is the best game ever. And there was sort of like a controversy where it came out where this game it was a from from most people's perspective it was a good game and it was interesting and it was breaking new yeah. ground in some things but it wasn't game of the decade it wasn't even game of the year it was just a, a new type of game and i think yeah. that was a victim of the hype complex where everyone was and i'm not faulting the people who are in it because if you came to me and you said hey do you want to be in a game by your favorite developer um as like a cameo like of course anyone would jump yeah. at the chance at that um then you don't get to report on it yeah, I don't I think that I think that there should have been a little bit more um Yeah. There should have been a little bit more forward thinking on on those people's parts where coming from they might be a little bit biased, but who knows. And then the one that is on everyone's minds uh, today, Cyberpunk 2077, um they have cameos by a ton of people in that game. There's like people uh the of course the largest one Keanu Reeves and then a lot of content yeah. creators uh, are in it as well. And all these people are like hyping this game up to ridiculous proportions, which one is terrible because it keeps getting delayed. So these poor devs are working their ass off to make this game. Um, and they're delaying it because either A, something's wrong with it technically, uh, or B, they're afraid that it's not going to live up to all this hype. And the problem with delaying it because it's not going to live up to all this hype is that there gets more and more, more and more hype <laughs> goes up. And then if it comes out and it's not meeting these ridiculous expectations that have already been set because uh, 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 Code Red or Project Red is this studio who's released so many uh, games that have been heralded as some of the greatest games of all time, that is going to do some executive whiplash. There's going to be some major backlash. If things, I'm not saying that the game's not going to be great, I know nothing about it, but if things aren't excellent, there's going to be some problems. Um, I don't think it's gonna be excellent. I'm, I, I, <laughs> I don't I have I don't that. have the insight or even the the research done to say anything know, this, definitively. This is, this is no insight. This is mm-hmm. no insight. This is this is nothing like about that. Like uh, this is more. I think people. This is more watching the perception of the game versus what the game is. You can um, 
you can what, get a what feeling. everybody whatever he's saying because <laughs> like every it, we're getting to a point where we're getting to a no man's sky where people think it's everything this is an rpg that is pretty linear um it's not this like i go everywhere all the time thing um and also the amount of people that are really hyped on this game and never played the witcher mm-hmm. i'm like Ooh, the witcher was probably not play the a witcher. <laughs> friendly the witcher was not a friendly game to get into if you didn't know rpgs a lot um uh like it, it, it's not an easy game to to get started with so i'm i'm very i'm very curious to see what the reaction is i'm not saying the game's not to be good but i think that the reaction will like everybody does not understand what this game is and it's just the hype's building but yeah i think that uh every influencer that is being that's part of this game uh should put ad when they play it every time um or every time they talk about it it's it's an ad um there is there is a world where the is it ftc or fcc one of them the fda and is like "Eh, no uh uh, it's it's, i think it's fcc the fcc looks at that and looks at this game and looks at what's going on and it's just like fines for everybody retroactive um because that this is an ad, um, yeah. uh, but it like it's something I I've, I've got a blog sitting around thinking about doing because like it, it it's sketchy like it yeah. There's a quote from somebody, and I'm gonna butcher the quote. And I don't even know who said it originally, but it was something about how the internet and the content creation sphere is just like a, a lawyer. It, it's prime for some lawyer to just come in and just like wreak havoc um just because everything there's no regulations everything is being broken in some standpoint like you said even people putting hashtag ad in their thing when they're playing a game um that they gotta like they're being sponsored to play that's a new thing that wasn't around two years ago that wasn't around even like most of last year i don't think uh that's probably wrong but something like that um how long were people being sponsored to do this stuff and not disclosing it and that never goes away <laughs> like if somebody was how many people are being sponsored monetarily or physically and are not talking about it not disclosing it we're not saying it's an ad yeah there um, was a little bit of controversy in the twitch world a few months back uh coming from charity streams where it came out and this sort of blew over in a way that which i wasn't expecting uh it came out that some of the top streamers were being sponsored non-small amounts of money non-trivial amounts of money to host charity events um to raise money for certain things and they weren't disclosing that they were they were being sponsored um and that was that was like i that blew away so quickly i thought this was going to be a big deal but like people were like i yeah i got offered thirty thousand dollars to stream for so and so um and i'm like and you didn't you didn't find the need to uh to say that yeah <laughs> that one that one's that one's real tough um because that is how the charity industry has always worked not just in gaming but in mm-hmm. everything like you like with tiger woods comes and plays your charity golf tournament you pay him half a million dollars yeah. but you raise five million dollars so it's net positive so that's something people like always have done so i i don't i like that i don't have like any hot take there um other than it should probably it, i don't know if it needs to be disclosed there because it is it's it's not for raise it's not making them a salary like say if they had subscriptions on and they were keeping all the money or say they had uh donations and they were keeping all the money then i have an issue with it 
Um, but if it's if all the money and everything is just going straight to charity, then I think I, I think it's fine. Yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely weird because I don't think people were super aware that this was like a normal thing. Like you said, like oh yeah, this is just something that happens. I think most people like when they see oh charity stream from so and so, they're thinking oh this person is is doing this out of the goodness of their heart or for public relations uh, credit. Um, yeah, or whatever, re- whatever the reason is, um, yeah. and it's like, just something like that, that comes from not being forthright with this sort of thing. Yeah, like I'm, I'm in the process of setting up a foundation for uh, scholarships for people who want to work in gaming. For less, less for hey, let me send you to school for a gaming degree, but more, how do I go from I have a career doing like something else and i want to do something in gaming and like looking into it and analyzing like well how do i raise money to do these types of scholarships and fund these things it was like well one i could just approach companies and be like yo give me money i want to do this and this is why it's good and you can write it off for your taxes but the real way i would be able to make money and do these types of things is to run charity events um that raise money where it's like here's the the esports golf classic um uh it is uh i'm i'm paying for uh five top streamers to come uh and i'll they'll put them up in a hotel and i'll uh the the give them golf balls and golf clubs and then for everybody else who wants to play it's a thousand dollars to to play on in the thing and then everything there goes to, to, to or five to ten thousand dollars um and then we're able to through that raise money and all of that goes straight to scholarships um so it, I understand the model of how that type of stuff works and how it how it does. Um, the The question always comes back to is what is pay, because, uh, like a, like a a streamer being featured on press footage and advertising footage for uh, an uh, like a a charity brand that that's that's the that's in kind stuff. Um, it like there's 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 a lot of this stuff where I'm just like, what you got? It's hard to quantify, but it's like people kind of know, like people on the inside know what's going on. Um, yeah, and so you were saying like a lawyer is gonna wreak havoc, and it's true. Like we're gonna get someone who is really good at law, who has, who just wants to like wreak havoc and actually force the industry to do stuff is going to come in an ambulance chase and is going to do like cease and desist is going to do um, like class actions, everything against everybody. And people are going to have to start figuring out what is okay and what's not. Um, uh, I think this is a similar thing that's going on with like the DMCA stuff Mm -hmm. where everybody's like, it's been working for years. Why do we have to change? And it's like, because you've been breaking the rules and laws for years, doesn't mean that it's, Net, it's like it's okay now. Yeah, like you just got big enough and made enough money that the companies care. Yeah, it's it was squ- never squatters' okay. rights don't apply to yeah. this sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I am of the like. I, there's a ton of people who are like, "Oh no, all my content's gone." And I, 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 I realize how flippant and terrible that sounds, but I'm, I'm also there being like, "Hey." uh I worked in an ice cream store when I was 15 and 16 years old, and I knew if we played the radio rather than paying the licensing fee to this, like, 
like very generic music system, we would get fined thousands of dollars because we did not have a license to just play mm-hmm. the radio. Um, and corporate had this like like paid like ten or twenty thousand dollars to be a license to use all these different songs. Um, like malls do this, venues do this. Like it's a thing. And like every time a song is played at a concert, people know who played it, where it was played, everything. Rights things happen, everything. And the fact that everybody's just like, but I'm just playing games, and I'm like, but you use the music. Yeah, and that's that's I love that this argument has been set in stone for gaming for some reason. Like, everyone knows that you can't watch a movie on stream. Everyone knows that you can't uh, stream, uh, like, somebody's... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, But why why is gaming and, and, and to some extent, music... I think music is a little more concrete that people are like, okay, yeah, this isn't okay, but I've just been getting away with it. Um, But... Yeah, I don't know why, circling way, way, way back to what we were talking about at the beginning, why is gaming, like, somehow exempt from that law and those rules? Is it just because they've been getting away with it for so long? They've been getting away with it so long and nobody's cared. Do I think that uh, Twitch could be handling this better? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do I think that Twitch's lawyers probably said, just get rid of it all, we can't do anything, like, do it now, The, the, the longer this is up, the more liable we are? Probably. Yeah. So that's why it's gone. It, um uh it makes me think of uh for those of you who watch Silicon Valley, it makes me think of that scene from Silicon Valley where uh they built this tool and it was like collecting data from underage people and every every person that was uh underage that was signing thing was like another hundred and eighty thousand dollar fine or something stupid like that. Yeah. Um and then they sold the tool to, to Huli, which is like the analog for Apple or something. Uh, and and it was basically a hot potato where they got fined a ton of money or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's gonna be like and and then all these people being like, my content's gone, my content like will never be there, or I or like download your content now. I'm mm-hmm. like, sure, download your content. You're never gonna be able to use it again. Yeah, um, I understand you want to keep it, but you made the call to play copyrighted music or music in general or like on stuff like that, like. It sucks. To, it sucks, but that's kind of the like you. You should know what you're doing. You should, yeah. Like I think I think so many of them are just like have never had to deal with music rights. They're just like Spotify's a thing, and like you just play Spotify. And I'm like, no. Yeah. No. I would bet if you took ninety percent of people in the store who went into a store, they wouldn't realize that if it's like a real store not like just like a mom and pop shop, they wouldn't yeah. realize that, that it's not just the radio playing. It's not just Spotify playing. Yeah. Like some, there's a special thing that goes into that. It, yeah. It's this, it's this big box about this, this size, like yeah. this deep. It has all these different inputs out it. You can turn it to like 32 different stations that are like, at least for North America. And they are all rated at like, like they're all designed and the playlists and the songs are licensed out and the playlists and stuff are designed to keep shoppers happy or to have a certain mood and everything about that. Um, I'm going to call out or I'm going to rat out somebody that I worked for. I'm not going to name any names, obviously, but a store that I worked at, which wasn't, it wasn't a mom and pop shop, but it definitely wasn't. Um, it was a, it was a chain. Uh, they were using Pandora. <laughs> they were just like, uh... as the sound system. Which I don't know if they're still doing it, but uh, yeah, I was like, "Are you gonna?" When I I was like sixteen or something when I worked there, I'm like, "Are you gonna 
Um, are you gonna like get this service or pay this this thing? For like, yeah, nah. he's like, nah, yeah. don't worry about it. Nobody's ever gonna care. Which is true. Nobody's gonna come into this small shop in the middle of rural North Carolina and be like, <sighs> but if someone does come by, it could yeah. be five, ten, twenty, fifty, like like ten percent of your yearly proceeds, etc. Yeah, yeah. People people love the n- nobody's ever gonna bother me about it clause in law even though it's not a real clause they're just like yeah nobody's gonna take the effort to to go and deal with this which is true in most cases it's sort of like like piracy at the end of the day like 99.99999 percent of pirate pirates are like never uh prosecuted or never even even identified but like you kind of scare off a lot of people with that 0.0001 percent who gets exactly. a million billion dollar fine and thrown in jail for ten years or whatever? Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how this evolves. I'm not saying the RIAA is any bastion of of good. Like mm-hmm. they have built a system that is that is super terrible. But while that system exists, everybody has to play by those rules. Yeah, there's a difference between what is legally accurate and like what is morally accurate and just because something yeah. is legally accurate doesn't mean it's morally accurate but yeah. you still have to play by the legally accurate the stuff legal. nobody's saying yeah. that they agree that everyone should have to delete hundreds of thousands of hours of their content um because Especially they're if you ever think you're gonna be big because <laughs> someone's gonna go back through and be like wait you became big because of you use this ad <laughs> we then own 10 percent of your lifetime income yeah like i've seen that argument made there's there's a lot of very sneaky and very smart lawyers out there who are gonna like like we said they're gonna cause some trouble yeah. over this and it's only gonna get worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, start start being a little smarter about that. All those all those huge content creators who are watching this podcast right now, you know who you are. <laughs> well, it, it, it's I see you in that, chat, Tyler like, One. No, I'm joking. It's part of that we're branching between gaming and the normal world as has like basically it like they're 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 connected to more and more and more where uh everybody games everybody play like knows what gaming is um it's it's, it's accepted way more as a hobby as a lifestyle as a yeah. type of person you want to be as a gamer um and 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 watching that is means that everybody who's been working in these other industries like there must be money here. I need to figure out, or they're using things, and they're like they're not. They don't have the same system. Like we're we're gonna continue to see. Uh, it's a goal. Like everybody's like the industry is stable, and I'm like, no, we've only hit like an inflection point where now everybody who's built successful businesses elsewhere is gonna be like, oh, I have skills this industry doesn't have. I'm gonna build that same business, but just for gaming. Yeah, and it's gonna work. Yeah, there's a reason like, that Mark Cuban or whatever invested ten million dollars in some esports yeah. team. I forget even what it was, but it's going to happen. No, not Luminosity. I forget. Complexity. I forget exactly who it was. I mean, Complexity is the the Texas one, so that's why. I thought. Yeah, that's probably what it was. Um, the the story behind Echo Fox, which is a little tragic, but when Rick Fox, like his son, loves League of Legends, so he's like, "Hey, I want to do a League of Legends team," and that was sort of like the PR version, but obviously. Th- there was a business version too. Like they thought that this was going to be a way to make money. Um, and yeah. I, I obviously don't know the, the whole story about something, whatever happened there, but there was a lot of stuff that went down on the business side yeah. of Echo Fox that, that 
was showing that they yeah that we're trying to make money. <laughs> I mean yeah, it's yeah how Rick I, Fox was I, I don't really it. know there. Yeah, yeah, I love Rick Fox though. Rick Fox, I got to meet a few times before I even worked at Riot, um, and uh, he was just the nicest guy. And oh I yeah, he's he super nice. Esports, and I was like, oh, this is super cool. Um, I've I've played League of like, Legends with him multiple times. He's yeah, a great really? guy. <laughs> yeah, he he's not a very or he wasn't a very good player at the time, but no, I'm sure not. <laughs> but I used to my office in Atlanta was uh two blocks from TNT Studios, where the NBA Tonight show is filmed. And uh, between my office and the NBA Tonight uh, office was a bar. And it was a, like a food industry bar, which meant that like at most bars and restaurants close at like 1 a.m. or so for that area. Um, that bar just stayed open till like 4 or 5 or whatever because it was everybody who got off their shift at every other bar would come there to eat dinner, have drinks, etc. It also became the place where everybody from TNT would go after their broadcast, because they broadcast on the on the West Coast and be up mm-hmm. till like, and their broadcast wouldn't end till one a.m. And so they'd come over. So I would constantly have like, it, like we, we would go there all the time because we work crazy hours as well. That uh, we would be at the bar and we'd see Shaq walk in, Charles Barkley walk in, Rick Fox walk in, etc. And it was it was it was, a, it was an incredible place. I I I as much as I live in L.A., uh, I've seen I saw more like A-list people living in Atlanta than I have ever seen in, in, uh, LA. Like, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. That's, that's, I love, I love hearing people's stories about like where they get to meet famous people. And it's usually just like random place. It's always a place like a bar or something or like something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. We knew Shaq was going to be there every two or three, three, every two weeks or every three weeks. We knew when during the NBA seasons, when he'd really be there, uh, he ended up buying. I don't know if this story is public, but he ended up buying the Krispy Kreme donuts uh, near the TNT studio because they were never open after his broadcast. And he got so tired of not being able to get a donut that he bought it and changed the hours to twenty four hours. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> um, to okay, we've pretty much exhausted the doc, except for one last thing, which we can touch on real yeah. quick. Um. The KDA music video. Hey, congrats to Riot yeah. for finally getting it out. That's awesome. Um, it's big. Talking to my it's parents, big. they don't understand what type of company I work for. Yeah, yeah. I saw that uh, you tweeted about that earlier today. It was about so they make music and they also do this and they do that. Are you sure it's a game company? Yeah, uh, I thought that was yeah. really funny. It's like, and then people reminded me we do a bunch of other stuff I didn't even think about. Like we make comic books and like we have all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, we do. We have merch, etc. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh wow, yeah. Uh, one of the one of the uh, things that Larry did when he worked at Riot, uh, he was a he had a few hats, but he was an art outsource manager, and then he was a narrative uh, narrative lead outsource something. He did a lot of outsourcing stuff where he would go reach out to people in a similar vein to what you do, actually, where he reach out to to res- external resources and tap them for projects. Um, and yeah, he he worked on a lot of the stuff like the comics and the I believe the well, I don't. I gotta. I'm not gonna say. That. I don't know. Uh, what's public and what's not. But yeah, he's he's worked on a lot of different stuff. Um, at Riot, so there's like they there's a lot of things that this company does. It's not just Valorant, League, TFT, and Runeterra. Um, yeah, there's a lot of crazy it stuff. Is, they have. It it is uh it's interesting because like sometimes 
I have to think about how we do stuff because it is truly international. Like I talk to a lot of people who work at other game studios and I, I don't want to toot horn too much, but like, they'll be like, yeah, we're releasing in North America and Europe. And I'm like, cool. I have to think about 19 different regions mm-hmm. that I'm doing with like with 32 different languages and how am I localizing and how am I supporting people? How, what are the intrinsic motivations of every single audience in those spaces? Like, I've, I've made this public before. Turkey is insanely into tournaments. Like they that that is a region that believes tournament play is the best way to play a video game. Um, I think I have fireworks going on. Yeah, someone's because <laughs> the Dodgers won. The Dodgers a day later. A day um, later. But uh, um, uh, we were like like it. The scale is insane, and the the projects are insane. It is, if you are looking for a game company that you can literally do whatever you want and, like, make an excuse to, to do something, it's Riot. Um, uh, like, the the budget plus creative freedom I don't think exists anywhere else in the industry. Um, uh, and, or, or, like, the scale. Like, I, 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 and Riot employees, rioters, constantly fight uh, for that to stay a thing, where like the creativity the art it's not always about the money it's about doing something that's awesome yeah. um and makes players happy because like my k-pop fan not really do i think those 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 music videos are awesome heck yeah yeah have i watched it like 40 times today yeah but uh um but like it, and people around the world like it represents very much their culture their hobbies and it's like riot recognizing who they are yeah i think it's really cool to have um non gamers like people who have never even played League of Legends or or some I'm sure sometimes you've ever even heard of League of Legends can come in and enjoy this content for this game that it's literally five League of Legends characters and nobody gives a crap about that if they don't care they're like oh that's just really good music with a really nice uh music video and they're like oh I stand them or whatever uh, I'm also not really much of a K-pop fan but um yeah. I loved I love that that's a thing I love that that yeah that can happen. And I, I hope that we see a lot more of that with um like the the show or, or movie or whatever it is, the the show that's coming out in the future. Um because yeah. I think that's that's going to be a good avenue for non gamers to come in and take a look at that. Uh I think uh, there's this there's this guy on YouTube called uh Screwface Gene, uh or Jean, I don't actually know how to pronounce it. I've only read it, I've never heard him say his name, I don't think. Um and he does reaction videos all of the League of Legends music uh, stuff. And uh, he is a professional rapper and has no idea what League of Legends is. And so, but his audience, and he popped in to do, I think he started with KDA. And now, like, his audience on YouTube went from, like, tens or 20,000 to, like, hundreds of thousands because people just love, because he doesn't know the characters, but he talks about, like, the musicality, the storytelling like how he would do this if it was like a like a, like one of his like songs or whatever and like it is like the it like he's he does he's never played league but he just watches these videos all the time yeah um nobody in chat i doubt is going to get this it's not really a reference but this throwback there was a youtuber back in 2014 or 15 called travag games and he had a series that was pretty popular on reddit for a short period of time uh titled my friend who doesn't play league of legends draws character or draws champions um and this the idea behind the show was he would describe a champion to this guy who had never seen it before never played it before 
and he would try to like draw what he thought it was based on that description. And I thought that was awesome. Like this was this was back when it was sort of just like people made cool content and people did cool stuff. And I I feel like we've already been going way too long, so I'm not gonna get too much into this. But I feel yeah. like we've seen a massive decline of that like sort of earnest content in league and just in gaming in general. Um, and it's it really is a shame. And I don't really know what to attribute it to because I'm sure there's millions of different factors. Um, I but... don't think it's actually gone. I've, so I have this discussion. I've had it with some Redditors and like mm-hmm. Reddit people. And I'm like, I don't think it's gone. I just don't think it's where you think it is. Yeah. Like the audience you have gone, like where you're looking is not there. Like there was this guy who famously was on Reddit, did like drawings of all of the uh, world's matchups and stuff like that. And like the storyline, they're really cute about like having made it or whatever. And uh, he didn't post any, or she, I'm sorry, I don't know the gender. Uh, they did not post uh, any of those pictures on Reddit this year. And someone was like, oh, where are they? And it's like, he's like, they're from Southeast Asia, I believe. Yeah. So they're just on Facebook. So Facebook's where that content or Facebook groups are where that content is. Or it's in discords or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's, not, it's not this massive thing. It's more of these niche communities that are bleeding over occasionally and people getting over into them. I think you're 100% right. I think that the decline isn't in the content because I'm sure there's even more people doing it today than there was five years ago, yeah. obviously. But I think, yeah. I think that the discoverability of that content has gone so far down. In, in, I don't know why. Is it because uh, Reddit just doesn't surface that anymore? Is it because people are just less willing to give that content attention? Uh, obviously, uh, you can compare the internet to sort of like a, a black box algorithm that, that like YouTube uses to surface stuff. Like the, the, there's so many different factors that go into like what makes somebody popular. It's not just good content, I, consistency, things so like, it's, it's a lot I, of stuff. I could, I could do an hour long discussion on discoverability and why like sometimes it matters. Sometimes it doesn't. And certain yeah. companies just don't care. Like, Twitch, great discoverability for uh, what the most popular games are <laughs> and who the most popular people are. Terrible discoverability for anybody up and coming. Uh, YouTube, great discoverability for viral content, things that are up and coming, stuff like that. Terrible streaming discoverability, things like that. And just like, there's, they're about the philosophy and the user experience around those types of things is huge. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about that. Um, maybe in a future episode. I feel like we've we've been going on. Uh, yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> we've been going a little too long, so we're gonna wrap things up. But thank you so much. This was such an awesome talk. I love I love when I can have guests on who are just a wealth of knowledge about everything. Like people who can come in yeah. and talk about basically nah, anything nah. I can bring up. I that's my thing. I'm a jack of all trades, master <laughs> of none. Can talk about anything. Hopefully not. You should get in trouble for it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Nobody so far. Yeah. Nobody's gotten in trouble. That, that, that I know of. Nobody's said like, hey, yeah. I got in trouble for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you again for coming on. If you haven't sure. already, follow uh, follow Gene on Twitter at G Chorba. Uh, I, believe, <laughs> I think you told me earlier. And I think. DM me. Ask me questions. Like if you guys, ha- if anybody has questions about building a business or doing stuff in the gaming industry, my DMs are always open. My email's always open. Um, the only thing I ask is please don't do the can I ask a question? Um, write out your full question, exactly what you're trying to get out, everything, like the result, and then I can get to it because 
I do get hammered with a lot of those, and I I I legitimately just throw away the can I ask you a question stuff because it 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 is like just ask. Yeah, it's like when you text your friend, "Hey, are you busy?" And then they're yes. like, "Maybe." <laughs> yeah, it depends. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again. This was a great talk. Hey, maybe in the future we can have you on for another show because I think we barely scratched the surface on Probably. things that we can talk yeah. about. Um, yeah. But if you like that, if you like uh, things that he does, like he said, check out the, the Office Hours live stream on the Developer Relations Twitch stream this Friday at 12 p.m. PST? 11. 11, 11 p.m. PST. Um, 11 p.m. Not p.m. I'm not up there. I'm not, oh, I'm sorry. not streaming that late. <laughs> sorry. I'm totally off. My clock changed so much when I moved back here to the East Coast. I'm from the East Coast, and it was just like yeah. that shift in three hours was a pain. Um, hey, if you like the stream, follow me live on uh, twitch.tv slash Nighthawk20000. You can catch Dev Dive live. I sometimes stream other things, but most of the time it's Dev Dive. Uh, and if you can't catch us live for time reasons or you just don't like live streams, uh, check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Nighthawk20000. I upload all the VODs there. You can catch the stream. You can catch uh, anything like that. And if you don't like watching videos, you can always listen on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, any podcast platform. We're on there. Hopefully we're good. Uh, give us a follow or a thumbs up or whatever. Uh, it helps the channel a lot. And as always, thank you for coming out to the stream. Thank you for coming out to the YouTube. And thank you for listening. Uh, we really appreciate all you guys who have come around and uh, coming back every episode. Uh, appreciate it a lot. And you guys have an excellent day.